Hello and welcome back to We Have Such Films to Show You, episode 13, I think. 13? Lucky number 13? Unlucky? Last, wasn't the last one 13? I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to look it up and I'm just going to bring us uh, in again. <laughs> I'm not even going to hit stop. <laughs> I'm just going to go look at our own website to find out what we're doing. Oh, yeah. I, last one was 13. I even called it Lucky 13. So, uh, I blame, uh, John dice the end. His filmic work is so <laughs> fucking dice the end. <laughs> oh, what the hell? Let's keep rolling. It's episode fourteen. <laughs> Welcome to episode fourteen of uh, We Have Such Films to Show You, uh, the podcast where we talk about horror movies. I'm your host Josh Millard. With me, as always, is Garth. Um, see now, What's I just up, I, party I, people. <laughs> I don't know any of Garth's oh, okay. catchphrases. It's been so long since I've seen any of the sketches or the movies. Yeah. What does Garth say? Oh, he uh, he likes to play the drums. So he says... Clang, clang. Clang. We fear change. Um, party on, Wayne. Things like this. Party on, Wayne? Yeah. Uh, man. What? No. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and uh, he mentioned that he had listened to a couple of episodes of this podcast. And he's just like, "Well, you know, I listened to it, and you know, you guys are doing pretty good. But you know, every once in a while, there's just you, you two crack up, and then you laugh, and then maybe five minutes later, you explain while you laugh. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that's just how we roll. We, you know, we 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 do exactly one take." And you know we put the bumpers on it, and that take goes up. And as far as I know, that's your thing, right? Yeah, it's 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 yeah. an aesthetic. I'm, uh, it's, yeah, it's, and he was just like, well, you know, you can get some like cheap audio software. You could edit it up. You know, you could you know move <laughs> things around. I'm like, no, no, I don't think you understand. The inv- our investment in this project is we bang out a take, put on the bumpers, and put it on the internet. Exactly. I I've got a I've got a hand stitched. This is one of the favorite things I've ever gotten as a result of being a person on the internet. I've got on my wall a hand stitched cross stitch thing. Uh, that someone uh, pirate bowling from Metafilter uh, made and sent for me, basically on a dare. And it's like a four by six or, or five by seven cross stitch. And it just says, uh, it's not a can't thing. It's a won't thing. Uh, <laughs> and then up above that, she actually cross stitched in uh, a half sunken wagon from Oregon Trail trying to ford a stream. And uh, and yes, that I think is that is the abiding philosophy of, of my creative life right now. It, you know, it's not that you can't, it's not that we can't figure out a way to do a thing. It's that sometimes you just won't because it's nice to have the constraint. It's nice to say, you know what? We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it in the least crazy making way possible. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to do it. And if we like it, great. And if we don't like it, great. But uh, let's let's not kill ourselves trying to find some secret formula for enjoying it. Let's just have a good fucking time and, and uh, you know, review the course periodically to see if something is worth changing after the fact. And right now I feel like, uh, we get on the mic and we talk for two hours, give or take, uh, usually, usually give, I guess, (laughs) I guess we give more time. Uh, but, uh, and then, and it just happens and I'm, I'm enjoying that. And, uh, and yeah, so uh, so I, I, anybody out there who's like, you know, I love this podcast, but I just wish it was a little bit more taut. Uh, I hear you, but uh, uh, unless someone wants to volunteer several hours of editorial work, uh, then it's not going to happen. No, let's let's uh, let's just be thankful for what we have, which is uh, me and Yakov talking at great length uh, at the beginning of podcast without even discussing what films <laughs> we're working. 
gonna, we didn't watch a movie we this about. week. We're just going to bullshit back and forth for two hours. Yeah, Enjoy, we, everybody. We, we figured if we could stall long enough, no one would realize that there were no films. No, actually, this is the tricky thing because we're uh, we're rambling, but we've got a packed schedule this episode because we're for it's the first time ever. Feature. Yeah, trying to do a twofer. It's uh, it's it's two for Sunday. That uh, doesn't. Uh, Two for not, Sunday. Was he in one of these movies? <laughs> yeah, no, he was a uh, yeah. Uh, he's the guy from uh, that seventy shows, right? Um, Prophecy Two and Prophecy Three. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about these uh, sequel and sequel to a sequel to the film we did a couple episodes ago, the Christopher Walken classic Prophecy, mm-hmm. uh, in which he played the angel Gabriel, who was uh, at odds with the. Uh, half of heaven and implicitly God over uh, God treating humans like his favorite uh, thing in the universe. And uh, in the first film, uh, Gabriel uh, was looking for a dark soul to help him and his faction of rebellious angels try and win the war in heaven and end once and for all this whole God being nice to humans thing. So he went searching for a dark soul in that was hiding in a, a little girl, in New Mexico or Arizona and uh, New Mexico, New Mexico. Yeah. Chimney chip. Oh no, no, it was Arizona. Cause it's chimney rock, Arizona, which uh, there's a chimney rock everywhere. Yeah, I know. But, uh, but that, that's what it said in the film anyway. Oh, cause the, the old guy wanted to retire. Anyway. So Gabriel tries to find his dark soul. Doesn't ends up getting killed by Lucifer, having his heart ripped out and the evil demon thing that he was after the evil soul gets annihilated by heaven and it's the end of the film and yay everything's okay uh and prophecy 2 picks up uh i guess a few years later yeah the timing of prophecy 1 2 and 3 depends a lot on how fast uh daniel who doesn't really become a character until prophecy 3 ages because this by the end of the series, either Prophecy 1 took place in the 70s or Prophecy 3 takes place in like 2015. The day after tomorrow. Yeah, it's it's very fluid. Like they're all contemporary and yet they there's a lot of time supposed to be passing in here. Uh, but the film doesn't like... Like this is not an interesting fact about the films. This no. is just a lazy thing about the films. There's nothing uh, that I saw that really lent itself to a fun theory about you know the near future sort of really yeah. really soft sci-fi or anything it just they mm-hmm. just didn't bother accounting for the fact that too much time had passed during films all shot in contemporary time yeah it's, it's sort of the opposite of uh, what we were dealing with in phantasm where it was just like you know they had all these constraints so they made like the time like the feeling of time in that movie really dreamy and like you know just slippy and it was it was half on purpose and half not but it worked in a particular way in this movie it just doesn't make a li- it just doesn't make sense it was just like well yeah. hang on the the you know the the fetus is aging but they never mentioned anything about the kid aging quickly and nobody's said anything about it now he's 20 and in the first movie he wasn't even conceived when is any of this taking place yeah it's uh, i would be curious if anybody has actually put thought into trying to work this out i'd be curious not to hear what it is but uh, yeah and then not us and if if not them and not us it's it's probably not going to happen but uh yeah. But but yeah, so I figure you know, we were saying we'll we'll talk about prophecy two and we'll talk about yeah. prophecy three and we'll try and sort of half and half them in the episode and I'm sure we'll compare the two throughout as well. But uh, but yeah, prophecy two the the the, the basic synopsis is Gabriel uh, comes back because he gets kicked out of hell. Uh, Lucifer, who they did not get Viggo Mortensen, nope. they, they didn't get a lot of people back uh, 
from film to film in this series. You think if you have like three recurring characters, you'd at least get act the actors for two of them, or maybe even they got one. Like of the three recurring characters, they got the actor for one. Well, no, and they they, they got uh, what's his face something Hinter back as well. Steve Hinter, the coroner Joseph. That, that I'm counting it out. That is one of them because it oh, was and, uh, and Walken. They got oh, Walken yeah, back, Walken. and they got Doggett back. Daggett back too. They got uh, that, that, Tom Daggett back just to die. What that was, was that Alaska Tess? Uh, I think it was. I'm, I'm I didn't check. The, I didn't uh, check. Uh, Maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's why he had a beard. They wanted to cover it up. I got the uh, I got the, I got the IMDb entry in front of me, and perhaps perhaps I was being overly generous. I kind of assumed it was not even in the credits. Nope. Okay. Oh wait, that's because it's the credits for Prophecy Three. <laughs> professional professional podcasters, ladies nope, and gentlemen. No, some guy named Bruce Abbott. Oh well, good job, Bruce Abbott. You played a pretty good Thomas Daggett for the very brief time you were on screen, shouting a couple things and burning to death. Um, okay, fair enough. You, you your point stands. They did not uh, they did not so much. But they got walking, and they and they got uh, Steve Hinter. So, mm-hmm. is it Hinter Hitner? I don't remember. Uh, it's not interesting. That guy is great. I still like him. He's a character actor. The fact that I don't know his name speaks to the specific sort of that guy status he has as a character. In all actor. my notes, I just refer to him as Banya. <laughs> Holy shit! Right. Um. So yes. So Gabriel gets kicked out of hell by Lucifer. I think just so that we can have a second film basically because he really did get murdered at the end of the first one that was a that was one of our open questions was how the hell are they going to have christopher walken come back if he's murdered and in hell and it turns out it's just lucifer being eh get out of here i'm tired i I don't need you down here anymore uh and so not viggo mortensen says some brief stuff Mm -hmm. and then the, the 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 parking lot opens up and he comes out and then he ends up menacing this lady named valley rosales because she gets knocked up by an angel and so she conceives a nephilim a a a a child of man and and angel or woman and angel i guess uh and uh and the nephilim becomes this is this fetus in her that that gabriel's basically trying to get rid of and that's that's the main thrust of the whole film is gabriel's trying to get rid of this fetus valerie's trying to not get her unborn child murdered and uh and then they end up having a showdown in eden which we are gonna have to puzzle that out because i i have no idea how the film got from act two to act three uh well i know how it got there it got there with a cut but yeah there was no transition that's a whole that's i think gonna be the central what the hell's going on thing here but so yeah gabriel chases her uh they they face off gabriel ends up losing she ends up not getting murdered end of film is relatively happy and it's so there's not not a whole lot happens no in this second film i mean that was really it's, it there's a bunch yeah, of car I mean, chases there's a bunch of shouting the second film basically take the plotting and the effects of a particularly shitty second or third season's x-files episode and just throw on as much of the plot of the terminator as you can and that's this movie yeah, no, I, that, it, it's it's just if the Terminator was a shitty X Files episode, it would be Prophecy Two. There's really there's a very it's not this is an interesting thing too. It, you mentioned the Terminator thing before I sat down and rewatched this. And I I, I want to say I have watched Prophecy Two once before, and it was uh, I don't know probably ten years ago, um, and and I did not remember anything from it. Uh, except for one of the last scenes where he gets impaled 
and there's some sort of uh, sassy, ha, you're human now. Like, that's all I could remember, like, before I sat and watched it. And I, and I remembered most of it as I sat down and rewatched it. Um, but that was all I had going in. And, and uh, <laughs> I started this <laughs> sentence with a destination. But I, okay, so, so, uh, so, so then you mentioned the other day that you had watched it, and it was just Terminator. And, uh, and gosh, it really kind of is. I mean, there's a lot of structural parallels to Terminator. We have... Uh, uh, no nonsense, random, you know, uh, essentially working class lady, you know, she's, uh, she, she's working as a nurse. She's going about her business. Uh, she's a single lady, unassuming. Uh, she's not, and she, she's just like, she's not tough, but she's got the potential to be, and that's going to be the entirety of her character development. Yeah. It was finding that sort of well of strength within her when faced with (laughs) unlikely adversity. Uh, so you, you, you she, we've, Valerie Rosales is your Sarah Connor. Uh, mm-hmm. Gabriel is your Terminator, including the opening scene. And this may have been part of what you were thinking of, but the opening scenes of Terminator, you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger coming naked through a rift to a place where he needs to find and kill a woman who will birth something uh, that will change the balance of his continuum. And... Arnold Schwarzenegger comes through a rift from another place to find and kill the unassuming woman who will give birth to the thing that will change the nature of his continuum. It's like the, the, naked. Both come through naked. Yep. Both. It's there. Mm-hmm. Was there a dog barking on the other side of a fence in Terminator? Cause I don't know there if there was, but it, it feels like there probably was. Yeah. And there definitely was in, uh, in this. So yeah, it, yeah. The opening aesthetic is really weird. You've got your your Reese character from Terminator, the the, the guy sent back in time to protect Sarah Connor, who then ends mm-hmm. up impregnating Sarah Connor with the very baby he's protecting the murder of. And the same thing here with Daniel, the angel who comes back, comes down from heaven to protect Valerie Rosales from yep. Gabriel. It's it's amazing, and and you even end the whole thing in a weird like industrial factory setting and yeah it's 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 a little bizarre and kind of great and i couldn't stop thinking about when i was watching uh, prophecy 2 after you had mentioned that because yeah. it's it's weirdly there you know yeah it's 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 just one of those things where it's like did did they think that nobody would notice did they think this kind of plot would just become so frequent that it was just you know that kind of plot and it just so happened the terminator was the first one because there's not a lot of movies with this general kind of plot, so and, and I'm wondering, you know, what what's going on here? Because this was a Hollywood release, right? Yeah, I believe so. This was, yeah, this was this was a theatrical release in 1998. So, yeah, that's you know what the the effects and the acting in this and everything. 1998 was season five of the X Files. This is as long as two episodes of the X Files, and. Given the choice, would you watch two random episodes of The X-Files or this film? <laughs> uh, have, have, I, have I not seen either of those? I mean, no, that's, knowing that's what, well, well, you know what? Yeah, no. The, the two episodes of The X-Files would be random. This movie you'd never seen before. Which would you pick well, if would you watch, wanted to be entertained? I would watch this movie because I'll watch anything with Christopher Walken in it once. Uh, but Did, uh, that's maybe not a good baseline answer because not everybody feels the same way I do. I, you know what? I... I I, con- I considered that question to ask you um, after starting watching the movie. I really feel like Walken phoned it in the whole time. Oh, yeah, but he, fu- he was fun phoning it in. I mean, I, I, he, was, he was a lot more fun in the third movie, but uh, he was yeah, in a much he, better role in the third movie. 
but still, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm horribly biased. I seriously, I've seen him in total shit, and uh, and I was still kind of okay with it because it was him. Yeah, I mean, I just wish they would have done more with him. And they did like a couple of creepy things with his character that I don't think he wanted to do. So he didn't really put himself into it as much as he he probably would like to have and as much as he did in the third one. For example? Um, there was like that, that, that scene where he's about to like, th- there was a couple of scenes in here and I'd have to go through my notes where, you know how there was like that really creepy scene in the first one where the Mary coming up to, um, what is his name? Eric Stoltz. Um, I, I, I do not remember the character's Simon. name. Simon, yeah. And then, you know, there's like that like creepy, quasi-sexual scene. They continued that thread into these two movies, but it just got weird. Like the the scene where he wants to um, just like abort the, the, the fetus, where he just wants to, you know, well, rip it out of her, basically, is really sort of sexual assaulty in, in that... You know, if you know the motivation, it isn't. But from for just like the, the way it's visually framed, the way that she's reacting, it's really sexual assaulty. And that's just Walken is not that kind of character in this movie at all. Yeah, you know he's he, you know they did they established like a very very firm personality for him in the first one, and I feel like they they failed to keep it up, and instead they just threw on some like you know they just like opened up the old you know like villain chest and just like threw on some random crap on yeah. him. It's just like all right now now it's this because you know we need a more generic villain for some reason, and um, yeah, I feel like they did not let Walken be Walken enough, and it was sort of I, I'm not gonna say it was an entirely wasted performance, but it. It was, it, it was, it was really disappointing. Far more disappointing than I was expecting it to be. I, w- I wish they had done more. Like they didn't really, they didn't bring anything new into the character. Uh, right. And this is actually a complaint I have about both these films in parts where they 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 brought stuff back that had been done or referenced in the previous films, but then they didn't they didn't do anything interesting and new with that thing in a lot of cases, and that's such a waste because like you can't you can't get the I mean it, it, it reads as like somewhere between just lazy script writing and maybe an attempt at fan service. Like if people really liked prophecy, then Hey, they want to see the same things in prophecy too. I can see that reasoning, but, uh, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel like it was done with a lot of intelligence in some cases where, yeah, it's like, let's just sort of recycle some of the stuff we did before. Um, with it, with, with the creepiness. Also, there was a speaking of the sort of creepiness. He, the Brittany Murphy character, uh, we'll talk about this in a second. Uh, but but anyway, he sits her on his lap at one point. That's, and that, yeah. yeah that, that same sort of like, eh, this is this is feeling a little weirdly like you know overtones of molesty, even though like the you know character's what it, not it was, using that. You know what exactly of it, it, it reminded me of two like a T. Um, Around 1996 or 1997, I think, they remade Lolita as a TV, like, premium cable movie with uh, Jeremy Irons. And I read a a Rolling Stone review of it, and they described, like, the one scene in it that's actually, you know, sex between uh, Humbert Humbert and Lolita. And I've never, I haven't seen that version of the movie, um, but I remember just, like, the description of it stuck out. And if you were to film that description, it would have been that scene with, like, her on his lap. Yeah. Which was yeah, just really kind of. Then was probably that was probably the other scene I was talking about where they they were just like really, he was doing things that were really out of character. Yeah. Um. So that character. So, so that's one of the thing. One of the many things they brought back in the second film. Uh, Brittany Murphy. Yeah. 
plays a girl who tries to kill herself early in the film, at which point so, Christopher Walken pops in it, and just makes her not dead. You know, to is it implied that he can only take people who attempt suicide? You know, I'm not sure if it is. I think, no, 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 because he went and found that one guy in Critical... Uh, or, or that one lady in Critical... Amanda Plummer? Yeah, although... But we don't know why she was there. Yeah, but we don't know that she had tried to kill herself. So I think, I think you could make an argument there. I can't think of a counterexample, but I also don't think it's made clear in the text of the films that that's supposed to be the situation. Because he's only had three assistants, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, the two from the first one, yeah. and then... Uh, and then, and yeah, then, the one, and then yeah. uh, what's her face? I can't remember her name. Uh, Brittany it, Murphy? Yes. Well, her yeah, character? her character's name, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Izzy. Izzy, that's right. Izzy, Isabel. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we should mention, just a brief cast note, Jennifer Beals is Valerie Rosales in this. Uh, and it's so weird, because she totally did get that nose job at some point. And so she totally doesn't look like the girl from Flashdance, even though she's the girl from Flashdance. Ah. That's yeah. I kept trying to figure out where I knew her from, and I'm wondering if I've ever seen Flashdance. Now, I've seen that scene from Flashdance, but I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie. This is also maybe me being weirdly uh, superficial and, and and assuming something about her nose. If I'm you know even confusing her with another actress too, so uh, that may actually be going on. Maybe that's part of why I was so confused by not really placing it. I think I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the girl from Dirty Dancing. So I'm a I'm I'm a bad credit monkey here. Uh, who is that? I'm thinking. Is, is that girl also named? You're Jennifer, thinking Jennifer of, Gray. Jennifer yeah. Gray, baby. Okay, I take it all back, and I think that's part of. The, I think Jennifer Gray may have gotten a nose job yeah. at some point to slightly unnose her nose, even though. So that's why that's why Valerie Salas doesn't look like the girl from Dirty Dancing because it's two different actresses. I'll just shut up about it now. But anyway, it's a girl from a flash dance. There you go. Uh, plays our 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 Sarah Connor in this film. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's two assistants in the first film that he undeadifies. Uh, there's one in the second film, and then none in the third film. Uh, Although the uh, the Amanda Plummer, the assistant from the first film, is referred to in the third film. Yes, I love the that. Third from like half of the third film is fan service. Yeah, and, which but, was and I, I kind of yeah, but I kind of loved it. We'll talk about more of that once we get into the second, the yes. third one properly. So so prophecy two. Uh, other thing, yeah. He Gabriel comes back. He crawls out of hell uh, in a kind of cool effect shot. That, I, I kind of like you know that I've, parking lot effect shot. Yeah, what, yeah. What happens is like the parking lot um, splits open, like you know, like there's like magma coming up from under it. Like it splits into plates uh, that you know are yield to like red chasms, and he crawls out of one of them, like you know, covered in just like ash and like hot dirt. Uh, and naked, and he crawls out. And the one thing that I really appreciated was that, you know, and the whole thing is you, the, the way it's shot, you see his back. You see him crawling out, like, at his back, and you see his ass, and he drops. And he turns around, and you finally see his face, and does, like, you know, a really, like, close zoom into Walken's face. And thank God he does not say a thing. Because <laughs> you like, know, like, a shitty director <laughs> would have him, like, do a line and be like, now I'm back, baby, or something like that. I, I kind of wanted him to say something. Think, I mean, I agree with you entirely. It would have been a terrible movie making decision but i would have laughed so hard if they'd given him a dumb line there it was like uh, you didn't think you could keep me away come on you know you know it's just something would have been the best cheesy stupid thing for him to say right then but uh but yeah it was kind of a cool effect shot the whole parking lot from hell thing did you figure out how they made it I, no i, I didn't it was, i think i can i think it was double exposure where they had just like the shot of the parking lot and then they overlaid it with transparent footage of like that effect happening probably in miniature. 
Yeah. And then they had close-ups with like probably larger props and then like another one for him to crawl out of. I think that's how they did that. That could be, yeah. Um, I want to say just briefly, uh, another casting note, Brittany Murphy, Izzy, uh, she and her boyfriend are romantically killing themselves. Uh, and the boyfriend is Jonathan from Buffy. I think that was... Really? I think well, it was one of the three guys from Buffy. I which think, I think it was. Which, you mean the the trio? Yeah, the yeah the, the trio of warlocks. That's that's what I'm uh, trying to make sure I'm right about. Jonathan. From which which Buffy. one was Jonathan? Uh, the short one. Yeah, Jonathan. Who Levinson. was the one that did the really? I, I don't want to spoil Buffy for people listening to this. Um, so. Fuck, it's really hard to talk about the trio <laughs> without spoiling Buffy. Uh, he, he he's he's the short one who was uh, seeming like he had. Uh, somewhat of a conscience well like there was the one particularly bad one he wasn't one of them he was the dark-haired other one the one the one who wasn't a super bad one who also wasn't gay okay he was he was he was the straight minion got it okay say. now i know who you're talking about that was him okay that's what <laughs> yeah. i looked from there yeah just a brief little part where he gets killed right at the beginning of the film but i want to say he gets killed uh and 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 gabriel resurrects izzy and she gets hauled around for this film which is actually she's a little bit interesting compared to what we saw in the first film with yeah. the, the characters but uh but he they kill themselves by driving a car down an arrow alley into a wall but 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 but, but, but no 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 they they made sure onto the wall they put a uh heart that says izzy loves what's his face and they drove into that yes so that I, I'm, I think that if you do that, that makes sure you die. Well, you know, but, but but my point is, an, a, a car driving down an alley for no apparent yeah. reason into a wall—it's the return yeah. of the yeah. I think and it happens a couple more times. It actually. does. This becomes a recurring theme, which is the weirdest. Like it's not even fan service because no one saw that first film and thought cars driving down alleys for no reason. That's the awesomest thing I ever seen. So I don't know if they just thought it was fun to return to that in the text or if they had a really unrealistic expectation of what people thought was good about the first film. Maybe, you know what I suspect? It's that the cast and like the directing, like the upper like directing crew changed, but the rest of the crew is the same and they got that effect nailed. <laughs> like, hey, hey, you want to throw in a, a couple of alley scenes? We got, we can do it. We can do it cheap. We can do two today. Yeah, we'll just get so, you, you know we'll get the, coverage up the wazoo. You can turn it yeah. into three different scenes in this film. Yeah, from the from the amount of time it takes us to shoot this, it would it would you know it take you like three times as long to shoot anything else. So because yeah, a little bit later in the film, there's another car down an alley scene. It's actually a whole set piece with branching yep. alleys where uh, Izzy drives Gabriel around, him <laughs> making her chase down uh, Valerie Rosales, our Sarah Connor, yeah. to try and kill her, and and so you've got. And that a was a really that. Sarah Connery scene. Like that ends as like a really like sort of Ellen Ripley slash Sarah Connery scene. Yeah, she she gets away by stealing herself to to grab uh, some barbed wire and hold on to. Which I always it's always a weird thing because like you know unless you actually show an effect shot of someone hitting a barb, it's mm-hmm. possible to just grab the non barb part of barbed wire. And yeah. so automatically screaming when you grab barbed wire seems a little bit weird. It seems like you would just take that extra half second, figure out where your hands would go, and just be like, hey, things pretty okay. But uh. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole that whole scene. And she shows up with stigmata in the next scene, so you know it got her. <laughs> so they're chasing around in the alleys. Uh, so we get more cars driving down alleys, and then we even get that that set piece finishes off with a car driving towards a brick wall at the end of a dead end alley. Yeah. And this time it's Izzy driving the car again, but she puts on her seatbelt and Christopher Walken doesn't, and so Christopher Walken goes flying through uh, the windshield, which. 
windows angels going through windows yeah uh there's some of this right at the beginning too daniel versus whoever it was danzig danzig played that him. was yeah yes. glenn danzig had a bit part yep and as, big, as, his credit was bigger than his part <laughs> i don't did he have lines did he say anything i don't I, or did he just he sort of like have. yeah I, there was he the one that yelling. said like welcome or come in or something because he, he was he was I a got, bouncer i got really confused uh, by by who was what in the scene with the angels fighting early on. There was like three of them, and I thought two of them were fighting, and I thought they were different people than they were. But uh, anyway, there was jumping through windows, as the important part. Jumping yep. through windows and colliding in midair, comes back, uh, and then walk and flies through a windshield. So, you know, mm-hmm. there. and then at one point, Daniel jumps in a window later on to save Val from Gabriel, again with the windows. And the movie opens with uh, Molotov. Wait, no, that's the, that's the third one. So we'll get to that. There's also windows in the third one. Yes, although there's there's very little there, there's very little jumping through windows early on. That's uh, true. I, it was getting conspicuous because so, of the previous but the one. The very first scene is an angel almost going through yes, a window. Yes, an angel staying outside a window. So and then hitting it really hard. Yeah. Okay. So and this fall. is this is actually this is a thing that uh, yeah. all the stuff with 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 the windows flying through the windows, mm-hmm. um, all the perching, all the being winged, uh, some head tilting that happens, particularly on the part of whoever the new antagonist angel is in the, in the third film, they're birds. They don't jump through windows because they think that's a cool thing to do. <laughs> they just seriously don't realize there's a window there. Angels are always constantly fucking confused about all these wham in the face and glass breaking noises because they're just fucking birds. They're giant birds who don't know what's going on. They don't understand well, windows. And here's how I can show you this is the truth. Eden. Eden, which we'll get into in more detail at the end of this second film. Eden, for all its big industry might, appears to be a place with no windows. Ton of angels, <laughs> no windows. They don't install windows in Eden because they don't know what windows are. They don't understand why you'd want them. Angels are birds who hit windows. That's that's what we're supposed to take from the Prophecy Trilogy. Well, you know what? That's actually a really important point. Because you you know what birds don't understand? What? Relative motion. Ah. If you put a bird in a moving vehicle, it does not comprehend that it's moving, which is why they can't drive. Ah, although, well, yes, yes, I, I, I'm, I think, I think that's good. I like that. I think, I think we can make a cosmological argument for this where heaven is probably literally the center of the universe. And so angels are not used to having to think about frames of reference, right? Like everything, heaven is still, heaven is the stillness at the center of the universe. And, and so, you know, people on earth are used to dealing with like, you know, not not even at a practical level of being in cars, but even at a cosmological level, they're 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 used to in an unconscious way hurtling through the galaxy at you know millions of miles an hour as it spins around the spiral galaxy, which spins throughout you know the greater universe and so on. So we've got this sort of inbuilt sense of uh, of of location and frame of reference and angels not so much because they are not used to being exposed to any sort of lack of uh, stillness at their basic. Uh, Situation. And if we could possibly extrapolate this in a stupid ass way, they fight. That they all fight. They all have that stupid way of fighting where it's you hit each other in midair and then you throw at each other at large solid objects. Yep. Well, it's like it's like crows trying to to break uh, walnuts or whatever to get at the seeds inside. Mm. You know, they pick them up and they drop them into traffic. And I don't I don't know. I'm not sure I can get anywhere with that one. <laughs> 
But, um, uh, yeah. but yes, the alley thing. The alley thing, it, it happens and it happens. And there's I, a lot of uh, there's a lot of dark cloaked figures uh, in, in in alleys, and like they did the uh, the hand coming out of the sleeve scene again in this one with uh, one of the angels that is quickly dispatched. Oh yeah, just sort of. Um, Here's my hand. You know what else I noticed was a, uh, was a really frequent uh, reoccurring like element in these movies? Uh, somebody using a large pipe-like thing as a weapon. Yes. every Not not just using a large pipe wipe. Every one of these films has someone at some point uh, specifically beating on an angel with a pipe, with a blunt object. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's just like, it's like, okay, it's act three. We'd better have somebody beat the shit out of an angel with something about three feet long. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it's like, was that like how they, that they decided that they would, um, is that how they decided that they would show how strong the angels are? It's like, well, if you hit him with a bat, you know, maybe they could stand it. Let's hit him with something metal. And then that'll be, you know, that'll be the thing. Because, you know, if you shoot them enough times, they drop. But if you don't shoot them enough times, they don't, because I guess they have hit points. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that you can't really, you know, show toughness too much in that. But, you know, if you watch somebody smack somebody across the head with something that would break a person's neck, there you go. You got a baseline of, uh, of fortitude there. I so want someone to make a shitty RPG system based off the Prophecy universe now. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh, man. Oh, tempting. Um, gosh, what else was in this second film that was important? Uh, you know what I didn't like the first, the first shot of perching in this movie, it it was, um, it was Gabriel and he was perching on the side of a building looking exactly like a gargoyle. And I'm like, come on, that is so on the nose. Like in the previous movie, the first perching thing we got, he was on the side of a chair for no reason whatsoever. That was all right. You know, perching menacingly on the side of a building, that's, it's too easy. Like, and I think that sort of went into, uh, the, the dialogue that they had for Gabriel that, you know, Walken was clearly not too excited about. It was so generically menacing. Like there was no, none of that, like, well, I mean, there was some, but there was a lot less of that, like Christopher Walken, like brand menacing that you, that you want to go for when you have Christopher Walken in your movie. And, and this was just like, more like, you know, you don't just like, don't fuck it with stuff and, you know, don't do that. And you, his voice didn't even like either that thing that he does with his voice where he just like changes pitches. He wouldn't even do that. He was just talking normally and it was yeah, it's just such I think a, I, I think what it was is Gabriel was actually a little uh, a little worn down by spending some time in hell. Yeah. I think he was actually he just wasn't back to hundred percent. It's this is totally totally intentional directorial and actor decisions, not uh, not sort of a shoddy ish half phoned in performance in a middling at best sequel. It's that Gabriel was actually suffering somewhat from having spent all that time down in hell. Maybe, maybe not in a tortured in hell sort of way, maybe more in a like putting up uh, with your in-laws sort of way. Like maybe hanging out with Lucifer is really just kind of a bad Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, if you're an angel, he's down not there, evil but, or anything. Just really passive aggressive and once in a while gross. Yeah, exactly. You know, so so maybe maybe he was just he was kind of tired. He's like, I know what I got to do. I know I got to put on a show, but uh, you know, maybe that's maybe that's what was going on. And his favorite assistant is gone. Yeah, yeah. He he's uh, and Lizzie. Okay, so I said I wanted to talk about this more. Lizzie or Izzy is Izzy Isabel Brittany Murphy's character the 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 girl who doesn't get to die after the suicide pact, uh, she seems uh, a lot more resilient about this whole situation yeah. uh, 
than the other two did. And, and, and which, which might ironically suggest that, I, I don't know if you want to read that as her turning out not to be all that committed to suicide, or if you want to turn it out to her just being that much more blasé about existence. But either way, uh, she really, she seems a little bit flighty, but she's not a walking mess. She actually kind of right. composes herself pretty well. And then she, does, she seems like she's almost sort of enjoying being the henchman, if not the loyal henchman, you know, at least sort of like the trickster henchman hanging out with Gabriel and fine. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Fine, we'll go do it. Yeah, she sort of she sort of bought it in that she's just like, well, I, I don't have a choice because she's always looking for a way out. Like at any point where she's where she at every point but one where she has a chance to kill herself, she attempts to do so. Yeah, she, so she, she, she I, shoots yeah. herself sitting in a restaurant. She's just like Gabriel uh, hands her a gun that he found because he doesn't really know what to do with it. And she just picks it up and she immediately just shoots herself in the well, no, chest. It, was, it wasn't even that it was um, Gabriel like knocked out a cop. Yeah, he did like that sleep thing on a cop and he stole his police radio and his gun and they're sitting in a diner and he sits back down and like, you know, uh, Izzy's sitting there. He's just like, I got these. I don't know how to use them. Show me how to use these. And he puts the gun down first and she picks up the gun like really slowly and just slowly and carefully aims it at her chest and just pulls the trigger. Yeah, it's neither it's neither hurried nor contemplative. She's not like, my God, I can do this. But she's also not like scrabbling to do this. She's just sort of like deliberately picks it up points at herself and boom. And then of course she's not dead because, uh, Gabe's on the scene with the, uh, not being dead machine. Uh, and he's, he's mildly annoyed. He's like, uh, um, I, so so I want to talk here also. And later on, she, Gabriel's, uh, confronting Valerie in a church, uh, Mm -hmm. And he, he he's pulling her out of the church because uh, it was rightly told to her by Daniel, her her Reese uh, angel lover, uh, baby daddy, that uh, that Gabriel won't kill her in a church. So he says, "Hey, stay in this church." Did he say he won't kill her in a church because he hurts her in a church. Well, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, no. He he says he won't kill you in a church. And uh, Gabriel comes in, and there's actually a really nice little touch where I think she was running from the doors when she realized he was coming, and she knocked over a candle or something, and he comes in. And it took me a second to decide what was going on here, but he picks up a candle, uh, and, he, and, he, and he sets it back in its candle holder, and he's like, careful. Um, and I think what he was saying is, hey, it's a fucking church. Don't fuck up the floor. Don't uh, go knocking <laughs> shit around. I think that's what was... Cause, because at first I was like, is it because a candle's out? Is a candle being out a bad, like, warding thing? Like, or does it fail? But that didn't make sense. No one talked about that. I think he was just really being like, hey, careful with a candle, you know? Um, and then he goes to play the organ. And then he goes to play the organ, which uh, this, they're, they're, if ever there was a trope, someone needs to, if it's not already on TV tropes, sit down and round up the villain plays a pipe uh, organ, three yeah, keyboard pipe organ, yeah, yeah, or, or, or just just keyboard in general. I feel like you know, there's it's enough of a thing. Like I'm gonna monologue while playing this uh, keyed instrument. Feels like, uh, I, and I wish I could think of more specific. I mean, obviously, fan of the opera, you have mm-hmm. sort of a thing there, but uh, but I feel like it's it's I feel like it's something you could find a lot of examples of. Uh, but anyway, so he goes into the church. He drags her out and he like, grabs her by the hair and drags her out of the church. And I think the implication is he's going to take her outside and then he can kill her. Um, but he's out. He, he gets outside and Izzy, the assistant, is there and and the cops have shown up. I think she called the cops, maybe, or maybe Valerie uh, did. I don't know. In, in I any think case, Valerie called the cops. The, the, the cops show up at the church, yeah. walk and walks out, uh, pulling her by the hair, sort of throws her halfway down the steps. Uh, mm-hmm. And Izzy hands him the gun 
in what looks like sort of like just being a dutiful handy, like, yes, here's the scalpel. Uh, right. Uh, but, but then immediately the cops are like, all right, put it down. And, and, and he's like, Hey, no, wait. And then they shoot the shit out of him because it's a guy with a, a gun. Yeah, he raises the gun. Cause it's just in his hand <laughs> as he's gesturing toward them. And I thought that was wonderful. And I loved that. Like, I loved that sort of thing from Izzy who has to know that this isn't going to stop Gabriel, or at least she has to suspect it. But at the same time, she can get him shot. And it's like, Hey, fuck you boss. I don't like you. I yeah. just, I, I thought it was a nice sort of capitulation of the, the situation, uh, with her character. And maybe, maybe was that, was that the last we saw of Izzy? I don't remember what happened to her. Um, no, I think, no, I think no, she's still was around. Big, there was a fight in Eden and then she dies in the fight in Eden. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's how attached I was to the character that I don't think I even made yeah. a note of her dying. And I certainly didn't uh, remember it several days later, several whole days later. Uh, but yeah, she I was one of the few like bright spots in this movie where whenever a character came up, I knew at least something interesting was going to happen or entertaining. Yeah, she was she was one of the more consistently sort of like I I I, I am probably going to see something that makes me say, "Huh, okay, someone thought about writing this character." And the so, so I, I and I have to say, as, as as much as I agree with you that that uh, his menace in this scene pretty phoned in Christopher Walken's scenes where it was more fish out of water. I genuinely enjoyed, I thought, yeah. and I feel like the third movie did this even better, but, but in this one, there were a few scenes that I just like the, the thing with the gun of the cops, I thought was just laugh out loud. Funny. I thought that was a <laughs> hilarious dynamic. Cause he's like, Oh no, you don't understand. I'm an angel trying to kill a Nephilim in the womb. You know, it's like, there's no way this conversation is going to go in any <laughs> useful direction for you. But at the same time, there's no stakes. Cause obviously they aren't going to run up to you and tear your heart out. So, this is just this is a temporary setback this is some slapstick involving a dozen yep. officers shooting you in the chest um i really loved and and feel like someone should make a gif of which means probably i should figure out how to make a gif of the scene where walken is failing to use a computer like he needs oh, to get information uh, out of the computer at the dry cleaners place uh, Wait, no, and, let's just start with the dry cleaners place because that whole scene is ridiculous even before he gets to the computer <laughs> um so he he gets a dry cleaning ticket from, was it Valerie's? No, no. Okay, so after Valerie had Daniel, who's her you know, baby daddy, with her car, she did his dry cleaning. She right. cleaned his jacket. And she, so this dry cleaning ticket ended up, I, I think, either on Dan, I think it was on Daniel. At, at Daniel's when, uh, place and then, and then Gabriel. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. So, and then, so Gabriel uses, you know, he, you know, he sniffs it, he licks it, you know, shoves it up his ass to figure out what it is. And so he ends up at this dry cleaner and he's just like, um, I, I'm here to pick up some, some dry cleaning for my, my friend. Um, could you tell me where she lives? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, sure. And he hands him the dry cleaning ticket. The guy's like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, this dry cleaning's already been picked up. I can't tell you where this person lives. I'm like, why are these two things connected? <laughs> yeah, either you don't give out random customer information or you do. It's not like you delete stuff from your data. Well, we don't want to know if someone's ever been here before. The last thing we want to do is have any kind of continuity of our customer base. So we, <laughs> if you pick up your clothes, fuck you. You're out of the system, buddy. Yeah, it didn't really make a hell of a lot of sense at all. Yep. And then... um there was, and then right after that, he does, you know, he, he gets pissed off and he's just like, whatever. And he does the sleep thing on him and he drops. And as the guy drops, the camera, st so he's standing behind the counter. He passes next to the guy in the counter when he does the drop thing and the camera sort of pans with him. And when the guy drops and there's a split second when Walken is just in the frame by himself and he does like this tiny little eyebrow raise like, hmm. And it was great. I just I re, I rewound it three times. I think these are the little just things. To see that little eyebrow. Raise. I, I feel like a uh, I feel like a, an edited version of this trilogy with nothing but walk-in scenes would be 
for all its incoherence, totally watchable. Because yeah, nice. there's, but yeah, and then he's trying to use the computer, and this is what this is why it needs to be Jeff. Uh, he he tries to use the computer, he can't get it to work, and then he you know picks it up and sort of like. Uh, like throws the monitor or something. I don't remember exactly what happens, but it, it felt like classic. Uh, I can't get this to work material. That uh, and every time he hit a key, the thing would quack. Did you notice that? <laughs> he has a quack, quack, quack. And Which, it's just DOS, and I'm just like, oh hey, it's DOS. And like three scenes later, when he drags um, uh, Izzy in there to like you know get the information out of the computer, she's like, you brought me back from the dead because you can't use DOS. I'm like, oh, called it. <laughs> it was classic. Uh, as you say, there was some shushing. There's there's more shushing in this film. The shushing people into unconsciousness thing happens. Uh, Daniel does it at some point. Uh, and I don't remember if there was any non-Gabriel shushing in the first film. I think it was just him. I don't think Simon ever shushed anybody. Um, so, so it was interesting to see that it was not an exclusive superpower. It's not something that only Gabriel can do. Shushing is apparently... Uh, something multiple people put points into in their builds of their characters for the prophecy tabletop game. I forgot one other absurd thing about the, uh, the dry cleaning scene is that when he walks in, he's just like, you know, have you seen uh, my friend? He just like, I think he gives like a vague description of her or like mentions that she picked up something. And the guy's just like, I'm sorry, we've got a very broad based clientele. And I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I don't, I don't understand what those combination, that combination of words means broad based clientele. Well, their clientele, they've got a broad uh, customer base. It's a little, it's, I don't know. It seems. And they all come to this place that he's in to give you their address. I, I, you could not figure out what what the guy was protesting. I, I think the guy was just vaguely, uh, maybe sort of pol- semi politely trying to be like, eh, yeah, that's not enough information. Like that guy had seen several Hellraiser movies and knew that sometimes people gave very poor descriptions when trying to find a person, and he was just trying to you know head it off at the pass by establishing that uh, you know their expectations were at odds with the reality of of his available information. Oh, there was that. Um, there was the the alleyway fight. Um, the alleyway fight between Danzig, who, and I'm 90% sure they got Danzig in this, because remember that, uh, what is it, Uziel, that first, like, you know, the assassin angel from yeah. the first prophecy? I think everybody saw the movies like, hey, that looks like Danzig, and for a second being like, hey, can we get Danzig? <laughs> what? Yeah? Oh, all right. What does he need? Craft services? All right, done deal. Um, and that's how they got Danzig in this movie. Let's not even but, tell them um, we're making a movie. We'll tell them we're doing a music yeah. video for a punk band that, you know. There you go. They got no budget, so, you know. Could you just um, has, do him a solid? So, uh, the, the, and no, I think it's uh, it was it was a fight between uh, Danzig and Daniel, and at the very end, like Daniel uh, rips out his heart, you know, as he, that's how you kill an angel, and then he drops it. And all I can think of is, man, that is a waste of some really potent spell components, <laughs> like the heart of an angel. Think of that kind of shit you could do with that. Well, you know, remember, uh, Daniel's been up in heaven where there's been a war of angels, so probably they're just, the market is flush. Like, for him, it's like, it's like someone handing you a golden dagger if you come from a land where gold just flows like crazy. You're like, this is a shitty dagger. This thing's going to bend. You know, you're not thinking, oh my god, look at this, look at the value of this. So I think that's, it's just market economics in play. He's adjusted to uh, a, a uh, a basically unrestricted supply of angel hearts. So yet another one's just, you know, it's not worth the calories it takes to tear it out of <laughs> the guy's chest. Uh, that's probably, that's probably why. Plus I, you got to get into cornstarch real quick. Otherwise it goes <laughs> bad. And- I wanted to, I wanted to mention uh, a little bit of cross reference type thing. Uh, 
when, when Gabriel's menacing Valerie in the church before uh, hauling her outside, he's talking about Nephilim and the fact that she's got a Nephilim inside her, this, uh, this hybrid angel human baby. And, he, and, and he's saying, you know, among other things, he has a line, you know, nobody liked them, not even you know who. Uh, and that immediately turned it into a Harry Potter reference for me. Because, like, you know who felt like, you know, are we trying to, like, you know, get towards uh, Voldemort here, you know? And, and, and then the idea of half-breeds, mudbloods. Yeah. Muggles, muggles and wizards breeding. You know who doesn't like them. Boom. So this, this film is actually what J.K. Rowling based the Harry Potter books off of. Yeah. She traveled in time somehow, maybe by driving an alley, uh, a car down a blind alley. Uh, and instead of crashing and killing herself, she ended up on station nine and three quarters and found out about, uh, yes, that <laughs> I feel like this is going over like a, a lead balloon. <laughs> it, my, my knowledge of the Harry Potter mythos is, 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 terrible at best but now i'm just picturing like i've only i've never read any of the books and i've only seen the first movie and a half um and I'm, but now i'm just picturing like christopher walken in the role of like everybody like one of those like one man show movie parody things oh god i would watch that yeah his one man show adaptation of some harry potter fanfic he wrote <laughs> oh here's an odd question um oh uh another one oh, of the let's not take this I, in an odd direction yeah so when um, Valerie is surprised to find out she's pregnant, she mentions that she's only been with one man. Now, does she mean recently? I does think she mean not counting Daniel? Does she mean she lost her virginity to Daniel? I, I, I think she means recently. I think she's just trying to say, hey, no, look, I haven't. I know for sure that I didn't strip anybody three months ago. Yeah. It's been a it's been a dry spell was the implication right. I took from that. Not I am, you know. Because, you know, in Cabin in the Woods, it was just like, and it's like the version's like, well, we, we, we deal with yeah, what we get. Yeah, it's like, close enough. Yeah. Maybe it's like, I've you got know. laid in three months. Yeah. All right. Yeah, close enough. This takes uh, place in LA, right? Sure. I, I, I could have sworn this takes place in LA because we saw like uh, in the third one, because the third one takes place in the same place as the second one. And the second one ostensibly takes place in the same place that the first one started because uh, Thomas Daggett is still living there. Um, oh, he's and in a, he's in a the monastery same corner's office. Oh yeah, well yeah, it's definitely definitely the same. It's definitely the same setting as far as that goes because we've yeah. got the same corner, or at least presumably so. It'd be pretty unlikely that he happens to be working somewhere else that happens to be where this is right. you know, happening again. So yeah, I think that's probably fair to assume that along with whatever's going on with the chronology, uh, that it's supposed to be the same uh, part of the U.S. as well, the same city. And um, so Jennifer Beals was not great in this because I don't I don't think they knew exactly what they were doing with her. And I don't know if she had like good motivation or on the set or whatever. But there was this one scene where right after uh, Daniel, you know, the, she and Daniel screw, she leaves and in the morning. She's not feeling well. And her like, you know, little Hispanic or Spanish grandmother is bringing her food. And then they get into an argument because her grandmother's convinced she's pregnant. And they get into this like this very sort of, you know, her grandmother is just rambling at her in Spanish. She's rambling back equally quickly uh, and vehemently in English. And it's just, you know, it's just this cacophony for a bit. And then the very last line is like the grandmother is like fading out, walking away, still like muttering in Spanish. She's like, this is why I became a nurse. This is to show you that people just can't get pregnant like that. <laughs> I, I, I did rather enjoy that line. It was uh, uh, that whole little scene, too. It was it was kind of funny because like that was the liveliest sort of little bit of just plain human 
whatever versus Valerie mostly being stuck in this sort of role of being this, I don't know, this, this archetype and this combination, you know, scrappy survivor type slash victim in the film. So yeah, that was, yeah, yes. Okay. Let's talk about, I feel like the thing we need to talk about most to finish off prophecy two here is Eden. And we talked about this already or what men have made of it. Yes. And, and so the garden of Eden, they seriously, they got there so fast. I feel like I blinked and missed something and maybe I did blink and miss something or maybe the film just went there because like at some point, apparently Daniel takes Valerie to Eden. Do you, do you remember a discussion? Yeah, I remember, I remember no discussion. I remember other characters saying, oh, they must be going to Eden. And then they end up in this other part of Los Angeles that I guess, I guess Eden is in Los Angeles somehow. Apparently. Maybe it's just like one of those things where it's like another dimension I think, and like I think it, it just happens be. to be in Los Angeles or, yeah, or, or I, something I, like that. I think, I think they took some sort of portal or rift or something, uh, but we, we see none of this. They just, it's, it's literally, it's, it's, it's basically a smash cut, not yep. Eden, Eden. Uh, and, and Eden is this giant belching smoke industrial wasteland looking thing. And, 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 and they yeah. do try to make it look, um, like otherworldly, which is the, the the really confusing part. Like that first like scenery is just like, like, you know, the welcome to the Jurassic park scene and you know, like the whole thing unfolds in front of you. They did that with Eden, but it just looks like a shitty industrial park that, I mean, unless you're intimately familiar with the architecture of industrial parks, I wasn't able to tell if there was anything, you know, exotic about it. And the fact that it was just big. Yeah. It, I mean, it looked, it looked blade runnery. It looked, uh, it looked dystopian. But uh, but in sort of a non-specific, hey, let's imagine a really ugly-looking industrial, like factory place, and that's the thing. I mean, it, it looked as much as anything like a factory, like a giant sprawling factory, not even like right. not not even like a shitty city or a rundown garden, but just like a really really big uh, industrial works. Right. You know, and 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 yeah, and she's like, uh, this is Eden, and Daniel's like, or what man has made of it. Uh, which uh, again, what I have no idea what that line means. Yeah, it's like, did it, it like like are we talking? Is this an expression of the figurative nature of mankind and the fact that man has gotten into this industrial place that's you know very far from the state of nature, and so Eden reflects that, or is this literally something that somehow human contractors have? built of Eden, which doesn't seem likely because it seems like it seems like an angels only sort of place. There's a ton of angels hanging around here in this shitty smoke tack uh, complex uh, and no humans, as far as we can tell, except for the, the, the two who show up during this scene. Uh, so I don't even know what the hell is supposed to be going on here. It's, and it's not so jarring. Clue. It's so tonally weird. It's, it's, it's not, I don't think it's a bad idea to do something interesting and figurative with the nature of Eden changing over time as a result of whatever. That's some interesting mythos. Okay, fine. But they don't touch it. They just sort of say, yep, here's Eden. This is what man has done to it. Let's not discuss it anymore at all ever. Right. They don't come back to the third film. It's just, it's just this thing that I happens mean, they in the might, third act. I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's the weirdest thing. I really i I would like to know more about how the fuck the film went in this direction, and how they ended up botching the transition so bad that you're disoriented that they're even 
there, you know? Maybe they it wasn't it botched as much as they just did not have any ideas. They're like, look, we have n- nobody's defined what Eden is like in the like in, in the concept of this movie specifically, even though and but everybody has a concept of what Eden is. So why don't we just try to make this slightly you know, basically what they did was that they re- replicated the cave scene, but they didn't do any of the cave scene stuff. They didn't do, like, the walls turning black and then becoming a hallucination. They just, you know, walked through an alleyway, and maybe, you know, maybe they had a scene where they walked through an alleyway, and it, like, it revealed that, and it was supposed to be, like, really discordant from the alleyway to, to where they are, because it's, like, cliffy, or, or, or something, and it got cut because the footage was shitty, and then eventually they were just like, let's, you know, j- just fuck it, let's just hope people don't notice. Uh, because they did a lot of that kind of stuff in these movies, and and two and three, yeah. it was a lot of stuff where you you knew that they were depending on more suspension of disbelief than they deserved. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that's 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 maybe a, a, a fair theory. Like it's as simple as anything. Yeah. Also, I am kind of disappointed that there was no flaming sword. Uh, like no. like in, in biblical tradition in the Old Testament back in Genesis they humans get kicked out of Eden and then uh, God assigns uh, an angel or or was it a cherub I don't remember uh, basically uh, assigns a staffer with with mm-hmm. a flaming sword to keep was the that humans Michael? out didn't, wasn't, didn't Michael get the flaming sword because Michael was in this movie and yeah I don't I'm still think not entirely Michael, sure what his characters what his point was but yeah I'd have to yeah it's like he was presented as a mystery throughout much of the film like people kept referring was like well Michael you've got to get her to Michael Michael wants us here we've got to check with Michael and then we finally meet Michael and he's just some guy who's clearly clearly in a supervisory role by the way he carries mm-hmm. himself and the people who defer to him but we don't learn anything interesting about him like you know he's obviously got some history and some antagonism with with Gabriel but that goes for like every fucking angel we meet you know and there's nothing yeah so it, it was a little bit I think that was part of the thing. That was part of what made Eden underwhelming is like, it's, it's weird and jarring, but we got almost the fact that we got nothing about it, either the place or the people while the angels there. I mean, it's a, it's a weird failure to acknowledge what a huge jump the film just made. And yeah, the payoff, this film did not pay off. Well, is, is, is a big problem with it. As much as I liked pieces of it, it did not, uh, it did not feel like it stuck the landing at all. Right. Yeah, and it's just, and you know what? I I think maybe like even barring any anything resembling a transition, if they had made Eden weirder in some way, or at least just like somehow not looking like the rest, the the the, the real world areas that yeah. the rest of the movie takes place in, like you know, just paint some shit neon, like do do something. Yeah, if, you know, if, like if, just, if it had been a distinctly non-human place, I think it would have been yeah. more interesting. But as it is, it just felt like a really shitty human place. You know, it's it's felt like okay. Well, it's just like uh, nobody wants to spend time here because there's so much pollution. Versus like, yeah, a real sense of otherworldliness of of yeah. something that is fundamentally unlike what we're accustomed to would have been better, even if it was just bright neon like lollipop land or some shit like that. And then, and then someone beats up Christopher Walken with a blunt object, and uh, and he gets impaled. He gets impaled. Uh, because some leap of it's, I, I really wasn't even into the final scene, the confrontation between yeah. and him. She, you know, once again, she's really the end of the, the prophecy mill, film, like thriller and, movie stuff. Yeah, and but she talks about like you know how she's getting a message from God and he's you know has faith and and Gabriel mm-hmm. hasn't heard from God and so she pushes him off and they both fall. 
uh, way too far for her to survive. Uh, and then he gets impaled and somehow she lands on top of him without herself getting impaled. That didn't really make any sense at all, but Hey, it, I guess it looked it's a- like she was using those like angel calming dowing, making people want to do what you were, that you want them to do powers that it, it, on and off it seems like they have these powers to make people do what they want and the movie's just really selective about where they use them and i feel like that was sort of a reversal of that where she now used it on him maybe she's like talking about bit, god yeah, and little, like hypnotized him into you know falling off with her yeah well and you know it's funny because like that was a big turning point in the near in the climax of the the first film was daggett successfully taking yeah. lucifer's advice to basically fuck with gabriel by taunting him about his dissociation from God. So I felt like it was sort of an echo of that, which I could understand the idea behind, but it was like, eh, I'm still kind of bleh. I'm going to, I'm actually going to take what you just said and try and make something of that. I think she was using some Nephilim power. I think she was mm. using a little baby power on him is maybe what was going on there. She, she's managed to do some, uh, I don't know, uh, maternal kegels or something and just flex some of that, uh, holy, you know, hybrid child, at Gabriel to, to distract him long enough to push him off. They fall, he gets impaled, and then Michael sentences him to becoming a talking monkey. He's a human now. Except here's the thing. Did he immediately turn Gabriel into human while Gabriel was laying there impaled? Because a human who's impaled is pretty much a dead human. That's, I think it might have been a, I think it might have been a thing that, that, that took some time because he definitely developed some human quality like as we see in the third one he, he definitely developed more and more non-angelic like physiological and psychological qualities so i think it might have been a little slower of a transition okay. than that okay i can buy that okay because yeah. it, it did give me a little bit of trouble yeah. but so here's the thing uh this this we, we, we end the film with christopher walken sitting on a street corner like what did it have a five years later thing Nope. Uh, okay, so so we well, just... It's, no, okay, so it did sort of. What, okay, so what they did was at the end... Um, so, okay, actually, first, right before the end, there was this line that I could not fucking stand where, you know, everything's done and she's just like, she knows, you know, what she has to do, deliver the baby, take care of the baby until, you know, it's time for the, you know, the, the kid to make their own decision about what they're going to do with their powers. And she's just like, you know, until then, I'm the mom, fuck off. Actually, it was, to, it, it was until... And the, the, the thing that kept being told her was that uh, uh, in a few years, he'll get on a bus and right. he won't get off or he'll dive into a lake and he won't come up. And, and the implication is either he will be going his own way or the powers of heaven will be coming for him. But either way, she's going to lose her kid. Right. Yeah. And she's just like, well, until then, you know, stay out of it. And... um and then she, she asks Michael, she's like, you know, what do you think is in store? And he turns to her, she's like, even I, and Michael's just like, even I can't predict the future, Valerie. I'm like, that's not, you know, she's asking for your opinion, your, your opinion for having to dealing with angels and wars and God. Yeah. No, she's not, it was just like really sort of a shitty answer. It's not an oracular request. Yeah. It's like, what do you think is going to happen? We don't think. Um, but anyway... <laughs> And then the last, the last thing we see is yeah. is lightning flashing in the clouds, and there's and some god face, face or yeah, some sort of menacing uh, giant face in the clouds yeah. when the lightning strikes. Roll credits. No, 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 no. And then there's a coda. There, there's that coda where you open up on like the idyllic suburban scene, oh, right, and she's right. standing there with uh, with Daniel. She named the, the kid after the her, his father who was killed. 
um, and like, you know, some other suburban mother and they put them, their kids on the school bus. And, you know, the other woman is just like, man, I, I can't, you know, I can't stand like every time this kills me, like letting go like that. And, and Valerie says, well, you know, you just got to have faith. They'll return. Mm. And you see the school bus receding to the distance. And then you're like, okay. And credits, but no, there's a cut to the school bus going down some random ass street. And I'm just like, where are they taking this? Like, are they going to kill him now? But no, what happens is that the bus just passes, uh, Gabriel, who is now ah, okay. a um, who is now, now you know looks like a transient. He's, he's got very very long hair, and he's dressed you know like a homeless person. And I think it, is he playing his trumpet for money, or is he just hanging out there drinking coffee? I, I I don't think we see him playing it, but I think the implication is maybe that's what he does. Is he sits on his right. corner and he he plays the trumpet for money, and he's and just sitting he's there. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's phone's just sitting there Phone's gonna Do you ring. have any idea what he was saying? Uh. I think. I mean, he, I know he, what he was saying. Do you have any idea why he was saying? I that? don't. I don't know exactly why. I, I I thought there were two possibilities, and maybe the intention was. Well, to, well first, let's probably should tell. It's like what he was saying was the last lines. Is he's just sort of, sort of rocking back and forth, saying the phone's going to ring. It's going to be you know who. Everything's going to be all right. The phone's going to ring. With the implication that he's just repeating this to himself over and over again. Yeah. Well, I, I I think he's he's waiting to be uh, forgiven and let out of this human existence he's trapped in. I think he's trying to, you know convince himself that it's going to be okay and he's not going to stuck you know living oh, that god's going to pull him out of this yeah yeah right. yeah the phone's going to ring uh you know god's going to yeah. call and say hey gabriel i'm i'm sorry i cold shouldered you for millennia i'm sorry you've been stuck as uh, a human why don't you come on back um which which okay there's a thing here that michael is talking to gabriel from either side of the gates of eden and he's saying something like you know uh one way or the other the war is ending tonight. You know, you can come in, but just you leave your, leave your troops behind. You know, you come in, you can try and kill Valerie if you want. Fine. Uh, but either way, the war is ending tonight. And this is the war in heaven. That was the whole motivation for the first film. And presumably still going on in the second film, because otherwise it can't be ending tonight. And I guess we're just left to believe that in fact, the war did end that night because Gabe got, monkified was his troops just so demoralized by that they were like eh you know what fine yeah, I, think, I think it might have been one of those things without anybody else you know having the balls to take on everything without like an actual head to that army they don't um, they don't uh, what do you call it they don't have you know Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to be that next Gabriel yeah, because no they saw what happened, what's been happening to Gabriel as he's been doing this. Yeah. And they're just like, well, might as well give it up and, you know, just take our, uh, take our chances going back. I mean, that, that feels like the implication, but, but the film does nothing with it. And for something that's like the overriding thing, motivating two films about a grand war in heaven, that's such mm-hmm. a thud. We're just left to assume yeah. off camera that, oh, and I guess that ancient conflict has ended and everything's okay now again in heaven all right sure it's it's very very it, it felt like an odd fucking place to stop um but that's prophecy too i think that's pretty much everything i want to talk about about that one although there was there was briefly there was a very nice apple joke when they got to eden uh gabriel and izzy are there and she's reaching for an apple hanging off a tree sticking out from the fence and he's like you know don't eat that Trust me, you know, and it was just a nice little note. That was, that was I think, the, I think that was the only thing I liked about Eden was the joke about the yeah. apple. Uh, Although you'd think if that would work, they tried nothing but to get humans to eat the apple because that was the thing that got God's attention last time. Yeah, true. They have a surefire way of getting God, you know, 
you know, when you're a neglected kid, any attention is good attention, right? Right. So, you know, even even if he's pissed off, but at least he's paying attention to you now. Yeah. So, I wonder why they never took that. So, you know what? Now that we have, we're doing a double feature and we're going to switch movies, I think this is where might be a good time for a non-commercial break. All right. We'll uh, be right back after whatever we do. We'll think of something. <laughs> Have you ever been surprised by the amount of urine your body can hold? <laughs> every, every once in a while. Every once in a while. It's, uh, we should use that as the bumper. Yeah, clearly. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Yakov is done peeing, so uh, so that means it's time to talk about Prophecy 3. Prophecy 3. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are, we, are we running with this open? <laughs> apparently. This is apparently our open. All right. Well, Prophecy 3. Prophecy 3. Uh, uh, written and directed by our favorite two dudes. Did you yes, notice that? Yeah, yes, Carl Dupre. That I noticed. I noticed. Carl Dupre and what's his face? Uh, Patrick Lucier is who I have here as the director. Of oh this wait, one. Uh, it was, oh never mind. It was just it was written by Dupre and Swasson. Ah, remember Joel okay, Swasson? Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, Dupre, from, uh, I especially remember uh, from, from Hellraiser. We should say for anybody who hasn't been listening from the beginning of this entire podcast series, uh, there's a bunch of weird overlap. Uh, the, the the very basic situation is there's a bunch of weird overlap between multiple Hellraiser films and also uh, some of the prophecy films. There's a couple more prophecy films after this that we'll get to down the line, and uh, those were made basically by the same people at the same time as. Hellraisers 7 and 8 and involved in all that mess uh, is one Carl Dupre who apparently co-wrote uh, this prophecy film too uh, the later prophecy films do not have Christopher Walken in them yep. uh, but they've still got Carl Dupre involved so yep and um, he was also was he the bartender in um, Hellraiser 3 I think so I think I, I think he was uh, whatever the, what was the name of the pseudo Cenobite barman or barkeep or Barbie yeah, or that. some shit. Yeah. Barbie, Barbie, it Barbie, because he's a bartender and also the fire, right? Um, and um, yeah, so yeah, it's a lot of a lot of overlap there. Um, I wish they would have gotten Doug Bradley for this movie. Yep, that would have been amazing. Although Doug Bradley, <laughs> any is in, any actors anybody has heard of would have been great for this movie. D- Doug Bradley is in one of the last two uh, prophecy movies, though. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember what the deal details are, but I remember seeing and just going, oh my God, he's actually in that. This movie, actually, okay, there are some people in this movie. Uh, Brad Dourif. Dourif? I never know how to say his name. Brad Dourif, who has been in a ton of stuff, and I love him. He's, he's great as this sort of like weird, anxious character actor is usually what he's playing. He was in... Uh, uh, he was in Dune, the... the, the who was he David in Dune? Lynch version. He was Peter DeVries. He okay. was the evil Mentat. And wait, um, and who is he in this? Uh, in this, he's he's the guy who shoots the the preacher man early on. He's the blind, the blind man. Assassin. Oh, okay, yeah. all right, all right. And he was he was the doctor in Deadwood. He's been in. He's, mm. he's seriously. He's been in everything. Every long running TV show in the last twenty years, he was that guy on that one episode of it. He's he's great. He was Wormwood in Lord of the Rings, mm. um, and so on. So he's seriously like ton of credits. Crazy. Oh, he was on Voyager. Oh yeah. Um. Hmm. He's been in a couple of Lynch things. He was in Blue Velvet at some point. Uh, I, anyway, enjoyed, I enjoyed all of his scenes. This is the Brad Dourif podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, we had this is our first and final episode. 
<laughs> he's in it. Christopher Walken's in in this, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve, Steve Hitner is in this again. Joseph the Corner comes mm-hmm. back. Who had a? We didn't really talk about it. He had a brief cameo in uh, the second film where he yeah, where he, uh, sort of, he sort of warns Valerie to get the hell away from this whole mess. Uh, he's the exposition. Yeah. Uh, and he sort of recaps some of the stuff briefly to her. But in this, he comes back and he's got a much more significant part. He's sort of a one of the uh, running plot characters in the film. You know how I feel that happened? They got a survey group, people who watched Prophecy 1 and 2, and the over- only only significant overlap they got for why people enjoyed the movies was him. And they're like, all right, so as far as I can tell, people want to see more of him. That's, that's the only thing these results could possibly mean. So, bam, secondary character. And I'm fine with it. I, I, I would have loved it if they'd really gone whole hog with it and really just made him a heart, like made Prophecy 3 like a medical, medical noir thriller yeah. starring detective coroner Joseph... Steve Hitner, uh, Joseph Banya. Yeah. yeah, it would have been, it would have been, it would have been great. Um, yeah. but that is not what happened exactly. Oh, um, you know what? We'd never talked about, um, Daggett. What happens to Daggett at the end of the, oh, at the, well, technically the beginning of the second one, because it's sort of important to what happens in this one a little bit, a little bit. Gabriel. Um, what ha- yeah. So Daggett ends up living in a monastery and, um, defacing many, many, many books, to create a book of prophecy that, I mean, I don't know why he couldn't have just written, you know, see page 12 in the following text and said he had to, like, you know, rip out the page of what was clearly, like, a very old, you know, biblical study manual. But now he put together this, like, you know, little crazy person book, um, and that book becomes, like, his prophecy to the events of the third movie, I think. Yes. He's, he's writing the 24th chapter yeah. of mm-hmm. uh, the Revelation and then, of St. John. Yeah. And then he dies. Um, Gabriel kills him, and he was living in a monastery. But then uh, Joseph, the the me, he had the, he has this weird line in this movie where he's describing to um, one of the characters. Uh, I think it was uh, Madge Magdalena. Um, I know, no, Maggie. Madge is a different character. Yeah. yeah. Magdalena is, yeah, Maggie is Magdalena. So he's describing to Maggie, who is Daniel, who is now in his twenties. That's his girlfriend. Um, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he says, you know, it's like this, you know, the, this thing keeps happening over and over again, and it's cost lives. It cost me the life of my best friend, because apparently now they're best friends. I, um, I, was, I was saying that in the first movie. There was more chemistry it, between those two motherfuckers than there was between anybody else in the film. Those I two, think it was more like a work marriage than being best friends. I, th- I, think, I think they had a serious bromance going on. All right. Well, that's that. that that's appreciated. It's that. That's fun. Uh, and then he says, um, <laughs> "Fuck you." What? what? <laughs> just I, I was being genuine. That is fun. <laughs> it just came off as so condescending for some reason. Please continue. I can't help yes. it. I'm a terrible yes. person. Um, <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Okay. We uh, agree. Sh- we agree that you're bad. Uh, <laughs> please continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he. Shit. Where was I? I think you were getting to where he described, he said something about the a monastery being like some... That's right, yeah. He's like, he, he holed up in a madhouse he confused for a monastery. Yeah. Now, which, is he speaking figuratively 
Or is that actually what happened? Because as far as I can tell, that thing he was holed up in was a straight-up monastery. I think he was speaking figuratively, and I also don't know why he thought that. And it would be interesting if there was any sort of access to why he had that opinion. But I'm assuming he just thinks it's a bad place because he ended up burning to death there or something. But yeah, it seemed like a really weird line. I don't understand... But again, I mean, you know, someone who's important to you dies, you, know, you might be a little bit irrational. Plus, he was, I believe he was ranting while drunk. He'd been drinking yeah, the, for a while the, at this yeah, point, the, too. He, so He works drunk. And I'm assuming, maybe he's like one of those I work best when I'm drunk kind of characters. But he's doing historical research, which I think is a little harder to do while drunk than, I don't know, other things where you don't have to read. To be fair, we're not given a clear picture of... Apparently, we just really want to talk about the coroner, cause, and I'm okay with that, because, hey... Uh, but, but <laughs> The reason being is one of the few interesting things in this film. <laughs> we're, we're not given a lot of picture of uh, this the whole X-Files okay. stuff that he's doing as a regular habit. I think he's actually been paying attention to it, but also trying not to think about it for years and years. And now he feels like it's really winding up again, and so he's finally like lapsing into going into hardcore research, and he's going to try and figure yeah. some stuff out, and he's drinking because of that. So he's specifically getting drunk because he's trying to cope with the fact that he's digging into this thing that he's otherwise been trying to sort of repress for years. I actually have another theory, and this goes with the fact that Eden is technically somewhere accessible walking distance from downtown Los Angeles. Okay. Maybe this town, like the version of Los Angeles that Which, this takes place in. Which, who walks in Los Angeles? I mean... Right? All of these guys, and then they run. Um, but yeah, so all of these people in this world... Like the rea- you remember how you know the reaction to all the angels going around and stuff was a little blase, and that was because like the angels' magic calming down powers, and you know people have like bizarre, absurd conversations, like the one that Gabriel has with like the detective. Detective just laughs it off. I suspect that this is a world where all sorts of weird ass shit is happening all the time, and that the angel stuff is only just part of it, and maybe new, and maybe uh, Joseph the ME, he's just like you know this angel stuff has been recurring, keeps coming back, and people keep dying, and he's worried about it just because he didn't expect angels. You know, he's got he's got gnomes, he's got the orcs, he's got demons, uh, you know, he's got, like, horrible Frankenstein monsters and vampires, but angels, that's new, and that's really concerning. And that's also why everybody's always so just like, oh, angels, all right, that's, you know, we, we, got, a, sure. we got a wolfman over there. Yeah. Um, and then this movie just takes a very myopic view of the world and just, you know, shields us from all that, and that view that the movie takes is a metaphor for Christianity. Oh, you just got deep on this shit. I was just going to say that angels weren't in the original monsters manual. So he's upset because he had to buy a new supplement. (laughs) That one's better. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Coroner Joseph is in Prophecy 3 a bunch. The, the, the basic uh, synopsis of Prophecy 3 is that kid who was the fetus in the, first one, in, the, in the second film, the one we were talking about in the first mm-hmm. half of this podcast. He was a very quickly growing fetus. She was in her like second trimester after like 48 hours or so. Yeah, something like that. And we never get a picture of whether the rest of the pregnancy is normal or follows that rate. And like six days later, she was giving terrifying birth. But uh, whatever, I guess we'll never know. Uh, but in any case, Yes, so so that kid, that that child of the woman Valerie Rosales and the angel Daniel, uh, ends up also getting named Daniel, and he grows up to be, it turns out, a street preacher who's, uh, I don't know, young adult. He's not atheist. Yeah, he's not atheist. He just he's really not- believes that God's a prick. Like he believes God is out there and doesn't care, and he's preaching about uh, how you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, just, yeah, this, this very sort of like blasphemous, uh, you know, thing about how, you know, and like explicitly blad, like not, not like 
implicitly blasphemous because it, it, it you know it, it preaches something against like the the uh, the you know something where where it's like a different set of rules and it's blasphemous. This is this is blasphemous in in a way that's very coherent within the faith. Yeah, he's just he's just saying, yeah, no. Uh, this- yeah, I have no idea what the point. I mean, it just seems like an airing of grievances. I'm not sure why he needs an audience for that because he's not trying to convert them to anything. Well, and here's here's part of the question: Does he know that he is anything other than just some dude? I think this, and this is something the film does not really tell us about his state of mind at the beginning. Like, we don't know I if he, he knows. Has, I mean, he was orphaned at like you know ten years before that. He was orphaned. Yeah, and we're not sure. We're we're not really sure where he was spent that time in between. I, I think the implication he just sort of he just sort of lived on the street. I, I think he I yeah. think he's been an, a, a street urchin and he's grown up that way. So uh, he's a street urchin preacher. So so he he gets uh, uh, a, a human agent Brad Dourif's character tries to kill him. Uh, it mm-hmm. does a pretty good job, but it turns out that it doesn't work because he's a nephilim and the guy didn't tear his heart out. Uh, because he got bumped into and he lost his knife and they got pushed out of the, the panicked room whenever it was fleeing from him shooting a guy. Apparently nobody noticed it was him with yeah, the gun. That, that, so well, I mean, his, son, his glasses fell off, so maybe true, it's, it's true. like a Clark like, No, no, it was, a guy, it was a guy with sunglasses. <laughs> I don't know where he went. Not the guy holding sunglasses yeah. in so his anyway, hand. Yeah, he, he, he tries to kill Daniel, the, the, the Nephilim preacher. Daniel ends up not being dead because he didn't get his heart torn out. And then this other angel... Uh, did you even... I, I'm sure they said his name several times, but I never retained it. Uh, bad Angel came uh, along and Bad El, <laughs> yeah, is trying to basically kill him, uh, and then fails throughout the film. Zophiel, Zophiel, okay, sure. Just call so, him Big Z. So I think I think basically Zophiel comes down to try and do the job himself because he couldn't get the blind guy to successfully do it. Uh, so he's sort of chasing Daniel through this film and trying to kill him. Uh, Daniel's running from him and Gabriel is human as he became human at the end of the second film. And mm-hmm. he, we, we, we talked, he basically tries to protect Daniel uh, throughout the whole film uh, and ultimately succeeds. Spoiler alert. Uh, and, and we talked about Terminator two and that's the shape of the film is, is bad angel Zophiel chasing, chasing Daniel, the Nephilim, and then we're trying to figure out how that's going to end. And then there's some details in there we'll talk about, but that's the basic thrust of it we talked about how prophecy 2 really felt like terminator this by extension really feels a lot like terminator 2 yeah including the the kid with the long hair on a motorcycle yeah 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 young adult on a motorcycle with with long sort of emo hair who is the the now young adult offspring that was the fetus in the previous film uh, and then the the menace from the previous film, instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. is Christopher Walken. And once again, and now he's, he's come back. Yeah, to, he's he's here to protect instead of uh, pursue. Uh, and so it's it is really it's a little weirdly structurally appropriate there. Um, you, but you think they? I mean, I, I figured both of these sequels were commissioned at the same time. I don't think anybody said, "Let's see how the second one does, and then we'll see if we'll make a third. I, I, I kind of wonder because on the one hand, I, I I think they were made so close together, close. but they're, yeah, they're not that. I don't think th- they were pitched as a set because honestly, Periel Periel is the big bad in this movie. He's and the big not thing. mentioned ever. Yeah, before. never mentioned. Not in the first film. Not in the second film. Um, they tie it into a little thing in the first film, uh, but I think just out of convenience, not because it was a grand plan. I mean, I'd be curious to hear otherwise. But as far as my feeling was that they wrote the third film 
after the second film maybe and they tried to come up with had, something new. Maybe they had the second film written and they had the contract for two and three films and they just didn't have the third one written yet, but they already had the contract for it. Because I maybe. can't see how the previous movie would have gotten another movie made. Well, I don't know if the third one was a theatrical release. It may have just been like... Oh. Chris yeah. Walken goes straight to video. Uh, he's done uh, a number yeah. of things that did not get major theatrical releases. He loves acting. The guy just loves to work, and I love him for it. Uh, so, so okay, I, I I felt like I had a specific thing I was going to say, but I, I don't, so I'm just going to mention a little detail. When uh, Daniel's doing a street preacher thing and gets shot early on, he totally looks like Ted Theodore Logan. He's wearing yep. like he's got the the vest that looks like like Bill and Ted. Yep. Ted yeah, we got to get a screenshot of that. Uh, I liked that. Um, I want to talk about briefly Brad Dourif's character, the the guy who does the uh, the blind. The, uh, the, yeah, the blind guy who does the birdie. Because I wasn't clear that he was blind. I kind of got the feeling he was in the opening scene where he he shoots the dude. I, mostly because the way his sunglasses <laughs> the, the sunglasses come off. Uh, I felt like there was something going on with the eyes there, but I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be suggesting this guy was blind for some reason or suggesting that he's not an angel because he's got normal eyes, even though a lot of the angels then have normal eyes when they want to. And and it was only later back in his apartment uh, when Daniel finds uh, the, the Braille Bible Mm -hmm. with with, uh, the sigil of Imperial written on every single page. Uh, that I was like, oh, okay, this guy is unambiguously blind, okay, which makes it more interesting that he went and shot some guy because how would you even know how to game uh, that, a gun? That's the thing. I have, I have, a, I have a theory. Yeah. Um, so my theory is that so first, yeah, I think at the beginning where when he Daniel is just assassinated, you're probably you might like it's maybe made to, for you to make to, to ask questions about whether he's an angel or not because he's aggressive against uh, Daniel and he's wearing sunglasses, but he, you know, but you realize that he's just like a a zealot who you know hallucinates or is actually tuned into you know god in this in the, in the mythos of this movie it's the latter and i think it's sort of like the thing where um can we spoil dune messiah for people <laughs> sure no one is if you no haven't read, read the second dune book from like i don't know 30 40 years ago at just, this point just fast forward for a minute or two and yeah um so paul uh, it's paul Mwadib is he's he's made blind in an, in an accident an assassination attempt but he conducts himself like he can see because his power of like prophecy and uh foretelling is so great that he can you know it, it's so vivid that he it it, it substitutes for his vision yeah it turns he can, out you can prophecy uh where the end table is and not bump into it Exactly. So I think that's what the angels granted him. Oh, so you think he wasn't normally, he was blind, but yeah. then they gave him a sight in exchange for, you know, doing his bidding. Yeah. And it wasn't like sight as we understand sight, but it was, you know, maybe it was those sunglasses. Maybe. Oh, yes. It's like, uh, they're, they're actually a altered version of the sunglasses from They Live. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then when, um, when uh, you know, Big Z shows up, uh, and the zealot's dead because uh, he was convinced to kill himself for failing. Is that what happened? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, something really like clear. that. Well, he killed himself, and this is the first time, I literally the first time I've ever seen any in a movie, second time, second time I've ever seen in a movie somebody's wrists sliced correctly. Yes, yes. It was just an incidental suicide, but he slid his wrists up the arm instead of across, and and the film says nothing else about it either. It's just like a yeah. weirdly attentive detail. We're like, seriously, Maybe so it's making up for the really up. unrealistic method of suicide in the previous movie. They're like, well, man, kids are watching this, and they're impressionable. If they want to kill themselves, we shouldn't keep them from doing it. 
doing it by showing them inefficient methods to do so. Yep. Um, you were, we're thinking of the kids. Um, but yeah, so I think that's what happened. He had some sort of like preternatural sight. And then when, um, when Zophiel comes down to find out what happened in like the last moments of his life, he licks his eyeball. Yes. And so that might, and then, you know, he sees the visions that the guy saw. So I think that there's some sort of, you know, angelic, uh, angelic powers that he is imbued with for the purposes of the assassination. I, I can buy that. Although I, I could also buy the, the eyeball licking memory thing being just some sort of generic thing that angels could do if they wanted. I also want to say this, 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 this bad angel, big Z fella, mm-hmm. he, uh, he does a couple of like the lick and sniff type things. And it turns out I don't enjoy that nearly as much when it's not Christopher Walken. <laughs> nope. Walken doing it. Okay. I was like, Oh, you weird motherfucker. Okay. But this guy, I'm just like, eh, it's kind of gross. Yeah, I mean, Walken is, you know, he's, he's imposing just because the, his aura is imposing. He's like that kind of guy. Like when he talks, when he speaks, when he moves, it's, you know, you, you don't want to be on the bad side of him. This guy was just sort of creepy and menacing in a, in, in a, in just sort of like a, uh, kind of way. Yeah. It's just like, Oh, you you're talking i'm just gonna leave it was that kind of menacing not they like oh i should probably listen kind of menacing yeah um uh little 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 things there was a lot of angelic script graffiti yeah in this one popular which, with, the, with the street kids yeah, apparently. apparently uh well and maybe, maybe it's something that daniel was sort of uh, popularizing without realizing it or something mm. or but yeah it's an interesting sort of callback to the the cave paintings in the first one uh, we should uh, talk about the very, very, very opening scene in case you're wondering. So you know how the previous movie killed its prota- the, the the previous movie killed the first movie's protagonist in the first like 15 minutes. So in this, this movie literally opens with uh, Valerie and a young, like a younger, maybe like probably the same age as he was at the end of the movie where he's getting on the school bus. Probably that age, him and Valerie sitting in, like their suburban house and um a shitload of Molotovs fly through the window and it's implied that, you know, she dies. Were they Molotovs? I thought they were like holy fireballs. Like I thought they like, were, no, no, the, the very first scene is somebody holding like an old glass Coke bottle with a, with, you know, some sort of cloth in it. Huh? Somehow yeah, I completely was, failed to, to notice that. Yeah. Those straight up Molotovs. And I don't remember if, is Gabriel in that scene? I don't think because, so. Cause it, or is that like something that he remembers about it later when he's waking up from like a deep freeze? Yeah, that, that he has. Yeah, Daniel has a memory of Gabriel sort of yeah. hiding him under his coat on a street after being chased by a mob or something. And maybe the implication is those two were tied together yeah. somehow. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's exactly yeah. what that was like. Because because she sacrificed uh, um, she sacrificed herself to live so he could live. She shielded him with her body and didn't move. And then like after that, I guess he ran out and he continued being chased by the angry peasants with their torches and pitchforks, which was literally what that scene was. <laughs> and he runs into Gabriel and, you know, he looks up and Gabriel looks down because it's a kid and an adult. And then Gabriel just, you know, whips open his trench coat and then just like scene cut. And it's implied that Gabriel like saved the kid's life. And I, I, I think that's the. I don't know if, if that's the first we see of Gabriel in this movie or not, but, you know, I. I have kind of a problem with this. Like Terminator did it good. Terminator turned like the bad guy into the good guy because, because of the popularity of the character. I mean, you that's, I, I can't imagine that was unintended that everybody's just like, Oh, everybody really likes your own Schwarzenegger character. Let's make him the protagonist. That way he can kill more shit. Um, and then they, I, I don't like it when other movies do that. And this movie did it 
it, it almost fucked up. It, you know, it tripped and then it maybe kind of fell a little and then it picked itself up and, and kept walking just solely because Walken's character it was because Gabriel has a distinct personality and his motivations that aren't just keep the, keep this guy alive and be the good guy. He's got his com- own set of completely separate, you know, uh, motivations. And I think that's why I, I didn't hate it in this because it's so easy to fuck that up. Yeah. And it felt the, the it, transition. It, it, it did feel, even then the transition felt kind of real. It's like the transition seemed to happen as soon as big Z showed up and sort of was like, ah, you, yeah. you, you used to, you used to understand. Cause the implication is big Z mm-hmm. is one of Gabriel's former, lieutenants probably and so he's right. carrying on the work that uh, Gabriel left behind by getting turned into a human uh, well, I guess like we were talking about earlier where you know they either had to pick a leader or disband and I guess this guy is you know yeah got the balls to stand up to it or at least is trying to make it happen yeah. like yeah yeah we again we don't get any detail on this but uh, actually the, the sorry the I'm sorry the the both sets of genitalia to do this <laughs> right uh Oh, you know, a brief, brief digression here. Uh, we talked in, in Prophecy 2, the Nephilim was the, the product of uh, an angel and a woman. And mm-hmm. we, we also get a great montage scene in here from Joseph the coroner making notes where he again basically <laughs> recaps stuff from the first two. And, and he writes down, you know, he's, so we're watching him write down key bits of the mythos. He writes down uh, angels plus women equals bad news and then he goes back and right. writes yeah. very bad news. Bad. Uh, this man is, went to medical school. <laughs> whole scene and these is, are the notes he takes. Whole scene, whole scene is pretty dumb. But in any case, that got uh, me and my wife talking about this, watching this. is like, our angels, they're hermaphrodites, but they've all looked like men. They've yep. all looked like men. And so, so it's like, are they, are they man-type sexual beings? And so angel plus woman equals you know, Nephilim because they're, they're in a sense, uh, heteronormative despite being, you know, attested hermaphrodites according to the original coroner's report. Uh, or do they just happen to look managed? Is it, is it man? Is it angel plus woman is a problem specifically only because women are only capable of bearing children and men can't. So even if an angel fucked a man, it's totally fine because no one's going to get pregnant, but you would think God would find a way. I, I think, you know how there's like lots and lots of different kinds of angels and some of them aren't even like animate objects and stuff? Like there's the ones that are fiery wheels. Um, yeah, so uh, that's, what is that? I think it's from, yeah, I think Revelations is like the, the canonical book that breaks down the types of angels. And so when you're having like temporal lobe epilepsy, which is, I believe, the case there... <laughs> Uh, you know, you get some, you get some, get some great shit out of there. And I, and you know, I, I guess that a certain subset of a certain type of angel, which is maybe like these, you know, physical form warrior angels, maybe, maybe those are all like, you know, there's no reason to not give them both male and female genitalia. I mean, why wouldn't you, but you know, they're, they're made male for some sort of, you know, reason that, that, you know, mysterious ways, whatever. Yeah. Maybe there's like a completely different, like subsect of, you know, angels that all look like women and then they do another thing and then there's the floating wheels and the little baby things and well the, it's you know, interesting because you see you see you know a, a really androgynous approach to uh at least by contemporary standards of of, of masculine and femininity presentation you, you often see a sort of amp, uh, intentionally androgynous approach to the representation of angels in media 
Um, I, I thought, including so, this or excluding this, largely excluding this series is the interesting. Like, like all the angels really come off as dudes in this. Like the closest yeah. thing to an exception is Periel, the the big bad mm-hmm. of this one, the underdeveloped big bad of this one. Uh, yeah, but anyway, Periel Periel comes off at least pushing more on that androgynous side. He's, he's got mm-hmm. you know relatively round face. He's presented uh, in a way that doesn't come off super dudish at least. Right. Um, but that's kind of the exception in this franchise. I don't remember any other angels who didn't, you know, look like gruff motherfuckers to some degree. Right. Uh, a lot of facial hair, a lot of like looking like they're in metal bands. Um, yeah, no, the, yeah. The long hair, the facial hair, the tra- Yeah. They, it, 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 maybe this is like the metal band section of heaven. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, oh, I mean, that's you, where well, these guys will come. Cause I want to say like, we, we, we talked briefly on, I am the other week about, uh, Constantine. You're asking whether you should bother mm-hmm. seeing it, if I remember right. And I, I almost think maybe we should go ahead and the, work that if in. If anybody at hasn't point. seen it, that's the, uh, the Hellblazer, uh, movie that they made with Keanu Reeves. Yes. Where they completely fucked up everything about the actual character and setting, but it was, it was kind of a fun ride of a movie to watch. In any case, in that film, I won't go into super detail, but because uh, I don't want to get spoilery on it out of the blue, but uh, the angel Gabriel is played in that film uh, by Tilda Swinton. Hmm. And in I a love Tilda Swinton. Yeah, and she's, and she's great in it. She doesn't have a ton to do in it, but, but she, she plays a great Gabriel, and she plays that androgynous thing perfectly. Perfectly, you know, it's like it's like her and Bowie could sort of take turns, you know, handling either side of any particular, you know, gender presentation you wanted, because they both have that weird sort of elfin thing where they can right. sort of go in either direction if they want to, and and so I thought that was like a perfect example of the androgynous. It really doesn't matter which you think it is, and and they're sort of like escaping from even the notion of a binary there in presentation. Right. And it's it's so interesting to me, once I started thinking about it, how much that is not the case in the Prophecy films, how much you don't get that sense. Because yeah. they're, if they're supposed to be sort of like androgynous and hermaphroditic and non-human and sort of separate from the traditional notion of, you know, human reality, it is kind of weird that they're all dudes, mm-hmm. that they're all really, really dudes in these movies. Yep. Anyway, that's, that, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a big thought I, I've been sort of chewing on for a while. Um, I liked that there was a brief dated Yanni reference in the film that is then oh. turned immediately into a knowingly dated. Cause I'm like, really, you're going to make a Yanni joke. And then the guy is like, ah, I'm making a fucking Yanni joke. So I, I liked that. Uh, well, do you remember the, 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 the joke was hanging? I think I wrote it down somewhere. I think he's, he's talking to Gabriel. Um, it's like a police, uh, a police person, a police man yeah. person talking to Gabriel and something about the long hair. And he makes a Yanni joke. Oh, it's like, who do you think, uh, the artist formerly known as Yanni? Oh, because he's trying and, to figure out uh, what his last name was, right. Oh, yeah, because there's only one name. It just says Gabriel and his... And that was the California ID, which is why I think this is in L.A. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's just like, so it's just, he just got one name, like the artist formerly known as Yanni, and, and gave a reply as, like, Sting. And the guy's just like, oh. Um. <laughs> I want to say, how did Gabriel get an ID that had one name and no birth date on it? Can you do that? I mean, well, the woman at the DMV just said 
Go on. I think he uses angel charming powers on the I, DMV. I, I guess. You think they'd be immune? But but he. How did he get them? Because he's not an angel. That's the confusing. Or, you thing. know what? Maybe it's not an ID because uh, Big Z has that Doctor Who power to make people see IDs that they want to see. Yes, but that's the that's the. I mean, I think that's that's the easy answer. Is yeah, we see Big Z showing people non-existent ID and then buying it. And so Gabriel could be doing the same thing. And he just didn't even think about his non-existent ID very well. And so the cop's actually picking at the details of the <laughs> yep. thing that he's poorly I imagined. think that's exactly it. But Gabriel's human. How does he, how can he, I, I maybe, maybe the implication maybe is they just didn't flush him. enough of the angel out of him in making him human. But still, it's, it's a little weird. I maybe wasn't he sure needed what it on at one point and he never turned like the thing that he made into the other thing. He was just like, well, I need to use this business card as an ID. So ding, and he puts it in his pocket and then he forgets about it. He becomes human. He gets into his pocket. He's like, man, I'm glad I kept this. That could be. Uh, there, there, um, there, there's a scene where uh, there's a epic slow motion, dramatic donut walking scene. Chris yes. Walken dramatically walking along in slow motion to a confrontational soundtrack. And I think just, I think cinema needs more of those. Yeah, and then he picks the one with the most sprinkles on it. Yes. Oh, sorry, fragments. Yeah, no, no, that, that, <laughs> that was, was, that, that, was that was the other angel. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I'll, I'll take the one with the colorful fragments on it. Angels ordering donuts. I thought that was a... If anybody found that scene funny, please watch Sleepy Hollow, because half of that show is that. <laughs> uh, there's also... Uh, God, there's so many little things about apparently walking, talking to that cop, but at, he finishes off that conversation as far as we can tell by just abruptly kind, calling the guy Sparky, which gives the guy a spook because the guy's like, what did you call me? And walking something like, you know, it was like, well, that's what they used to call you, didn't they? But uh, you done good. You showed them. You grew up and became a cop or whatever. Uh, I'm really disappointed that Walken's actual response was not, well, you look like a Sparky because there would have been a beautiful, <laughs> pointless, stupid yeah. callback, but still a beautiful callback to the first film. Uh, I think it's one of those things where before when uh, when when Gabriel was using that ability to tell people's past to like freak them out and unnerve them. Now he's just using it to compliment people. Yeah. And he just and doesn't understand them. that it's wildly <laughs> unnerving to do that. It's like, I know, I just I thought I'd read your mind. And, you know, yeah, like when he um, there's a scene where he's uh, towards the end of the movie where he's driving out in the desert um, and he turns on the radio and he's just like driving down the desert and he's playing his horn and nothing explodes because it's out in the middle of the desert. But you know for a fact he tried to do that somewhere and then realized he can only do that in the desert. Yeah, he's good. You know, he's just like in downtown LA. He's just like, I'm going to play my horn. I don't think and so. Then, I don't think so. I think, no? I think, I think the horn doesn't do anything anymore because he's human. I think he's just mm-hmm. got a trumpet. He just likes having it and he learned to play it some. And well, that, that implies that him and why would, I mean, if he lost his powers, why would the trumpet lose its powers? It's, it's an artifact. I, it's, I, I, you know, was the, was the, is the power linked to Gabriel? I, 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 I yes, that's my opinion. <laughs> I don't have a good defense of this, and this clearly we need to cover this in the source book for the the tabletop yeah. RPG. But I think I think I think it's a combination is it like a thing. Chris knife, where if it you know abandons its owner for too long, or its owner abandons it for too long and disintegrates. I, I, in this case, rather than you know, I think disintegrating it, it loses power. I think it yeah, it just needs the power source, and Gabriel doesn't have the power source because he's been disempowered. I think when the kid in the first movie blows the trumpet and it blows out a window, it's because Gabe's there and he's like imbuing it so i think later so basically when you stop being an angel you lose use magic device and now it's just a regular trumpet with the ability to do that but not the exactly the person playing it doesn't have exactly the ability. there there you go that's that's exactly what i'm saying we should submit this to dragon magazine it's clearly we gotta uh speaking of dragons actually okay this is I, i'm just i'm gonna leap from uh crazy theory to crazy theory apparently gabriel what if gabriel is 
like an alternate universe or some sort of complementary figure to Hellraiser's Hobo Dragon. Mm. You've got a winged figure who is a hobo, mystical mm-hmm. powers serving some higher cause, slumming it in Earth. Yeah, I think Gabriel could. Maybe the Hobo Dragon was someone in the same shoes as Gabriel, but he ended up just hooking up with Lucifer or something. Or and I mean, you know, that works with the, with the whole, you know, bizarre universe thing. Cause you know, it's like, you know, down over there, you got the house with the, uh, creepy torture aliens from beyond the moon. And over here, we've got the hobo demon hanging out with the angel uh, guy used to be the angel. And now they're both hobos. Yeah. I, I, I think it could be a thing. <laughs> that, uh, that would explain the field where people go to burn their evil things in Hellraiser. Yeah. The fact that there's a lot that's of evil weird shit to burn is yeah. People are like, Oh Yeah. Yeah, let's go out to the, the evil shit-burning field, uh, which is totally normal, because everything's totally... Just a stack of angel hearts that went bad. <laughs> uh, the, the scars. The scars in this movie. There's, there's the angel sigils on people's necks. Now, we got a good look at these a couple times in the first two movies, and they always looked like sort of built-up, sort of bumpy scar tissue remnants. Like, not, a, not, not angry, mm-hmm. just like old scars. Uh, and in this film, we get several close-up shots of neck scars that all look very different. They all look like sort of raw, freshly burnt flesh. Maybe were they supposed to be like when when were they supposed to be at different like levels of raising or different levels of being there? Like were were the characters' actions impacting how thick the the tattoo was, or was I just totally missing the entire point I, of those scenes? I, I I think I think we did get a scene of a sigil in progress on Daniel's neck at one point. We saw like the, so the, the dots at the beginning. In yeah, but the rest of the time, I think they were just there. And the thing is. Uh, I, I wondered at the beginning, because the first time we get a shot of a scar in, in Prophecy 3, we see a shot of the scar on Big Z. And mm-hmm. it, it was notably sort of like red and angry looking to me. I was like, why did they change? I was like, maybe because maybe he just got here? And so <laughs> it's new? But that didn't make any sense because we saw other angels who had apparently just gotten to Earth as far as we knew. Yeah. Uh, and so he he made eyes, you know. Yeah. I I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that's harder than making eyes. Yeah. So I I, I think they just they just changed the effects because they didn't like the way it looked before or something. Because mm-hmm. we also get a shot right at the end of Gabriel's got his sigil back too, and it's just it, it, it was weird to me. I I almost like want to go back and check the previous films just to get a better look at the scars, but I really think they just changed entirely the makeup uh, for the scars in this movie for no reason. Yeah. Or at least for no sufficiently clear reason, because it was really conspicuous. Uh, going wrong. maybe they just didn't assume anybody would sit down and watch these two days apart. Yeah, uh, that's I, would I, be that fair. Might be a, it would be fair, but on the other hand, you know horror fandom. I mean, I know horror fandom. I remember being, you know, like younger, and when we had video stores, I'm just like, yeah, let me get Children of the Corn one through four, and I would sit down and I would watch Children of the Corn one through four. But at that point, you know, my yeah. eye wasn't as discriminating, and now, you know, we're 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 adults with things to do, and I can't just sit down and watch four movies in a row. Yes, I can. I'm <laughs> lying. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about uh, a character in this film who we basically haven't talked about at all because she's so boring and who cares, but she's a significant character. So I think we need to make note of it. The girlfriend, the girlfriend, uh, Maggie, uh, later mentioned as Magdaleno. It's like, oh, I wow, see. Let's, let's get Catholic on this can we, shit. Can we get any more on the nose? No, yeah. no. So, so Maggie is the girlfriend, apparently, of uh, Daniel from back when he was being a maybe homeless street preacher, not totally clear what the situation was. Uh, she doesn't seem 
homeless. He yeah. didn't even seem homeless. Yeah, they, they both seem kind of put together, so I don't know what the deal was. Um, I don't think we ever got to see an apartment or anything, so who knows? Uh, but, 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 but anyway, she sees him get murdered right at the beginning, and then she's mourning him and encounters Gabriel and encounters Big Z, and then... Uh, she finds out that he's alive and she spends a bunch of time hanging out with uh, Joseph, the coroner and uh, she confronts, she gets in some fights. Uh, She's around for a lot of the film and she's a linchpin at the end of the film where she's dying. And it's a moment of conflict for Daniel about what to do. Uh, And all throughout, I just didn't care at all. I didn't give the least shit about this lady. And I think partly it was, there was, you, at the end of the movie, I still have no idea who she is. Yeah, she's just she's just this lady who's there, she, and she's she, she's dull. The writing's not super interesting. I mean, the actress I think did fine with what she had. There was just yeah. nothing to do with it, and and it's a really interesting thing. She has a big showdown late in the film with uh, Big Z, where he's trying to convince her to help him do what he thinks is the right thing, and she's got a gun and she points a gun at him, and he doesn't flinch, and he reads her mind that she keeps the bullets in the dashboard. So later, she manages to fake him out and gets the bullets and runs off and gets a gun loaded and she's standing him down and he keeps closing in on her and saying hey I'm not here to hurt you and, and you know do what you gotta do and you know eventually she shoots him but it's really it's a drawn out thing and the problem is this is not the first prophecy movie we already know as a viewer that if she shoots him nothing bad is gonna happen to him so there's no drama for us the, all, the only person who is tense in this situation is the character with a gun and we already know what's gonna happen is uh, she's probably gonna shoot him and then he'll not die and then it'll turn out that she didn't kill him and it's like why are we giving this much screen time and this much notional tension and drama to a preconceived, you know, ending. Like we know it's, we know how it's going to end. It's going to end with nothing interesting happening. And unlike the second one, I can't imagine anybody's grabbing prophecy three, not having seen at least one of the two others. Like well, I can see good, go to the movies and being like, "Hey, let's go see Prophecy 2. It's like I haven't seen the first Prophecy. It's like, well, you know, how much fucking plot do you think you need for Prophecy, starring Christopher Walken, directed by some guy? You know, it's it's like, yeah. all right, let's go see it. You know, and but for the third one, which may or may not be straight to video, nobody's doing that. You know, if if it's on the shelf there, it's just like it'll be right next to Prophecies one and two, and you're not going to say, well. Prophecy 3, I want to see that. 1 and 2 are right here. But no, 3 is the one I really want to see because, and you can't finish that sentence. Yeah, and I, only, I only watch thirds. I only watch uh, third <laughs> films. In which case, I guess, you know, you, you lucked it. Yeah, so it, and that felt emblematic of her whole, she just felt like a character who was inserted as partly a perspective character throughout the film, but in yeah. whom we had no reason to invest because we didn't know who she was at the start of the film. There was nothing interesting about her mourning Daniel or being surprised that he got up and walked around. It's just like, okay, yeah, that's how a character would react to some of this news. Yay. You know, it's just like, so as such a central character, I was like, I don't really care. It's one of those characters where it's just like, she is literally defined by what all the dudes around her are doing. Yeah. And just like, it, she's just like the conduit between, between that, whether in like space or time or emotionally. Yeah. She's, she's an opportunity for other characters to say or do a thing. And I was like, yeah. And even the things they were saying and doing wasn't that interesting. So yeah, uh, like, 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 like my, my, my favorite note. Also, you know what? Here's one thing though. I have to say, this universe where the prophecy takes place and all the weird stuff happens, I think people aren't allowed, like, by nature or ability to ever shoot anybody in the head. (laughs) 
So much, none, so much of this movie would not Except take place. Except for one time. Uh, I think that's how the first helper monkey got killed. Was he got oh, shot okay. in the head, and then he was th- like, thank you. And for some yeah, reason, that right. did kill him, which didn't make any sense yeah. either. But, yeah. But, like, in the first movie... You know, they had that chance when they're like, you know, after the place explodes and they they drag Gabriel into like the police car, they had the chance to shoot him in the head. In the second one, um, uh, I forget where they're. Oh, yeah. In the second one, Izzy could have just shot Gabriel in the head right there and then. But no. But no. And and then in this one, it happens again because um, Maggie shoots shoots Big Z and the body repeatedly. He drops. She slowly, slowly comes up to him. It's a lingering scene. Looks down at him. Shot. Reverse shot. She reaches towards him with a gun. And then he grabs up. You know, he jumps and grabs it and runs away from her. She's like, why would you? You you run there and you... you know, re- unload the rest of that revolver into his head there and then, and then you start asking questions about whether people are dead or alive. Yeah, yeah. And to her, to her defense, she doesn't really seem to know a whole lot of what's going on. And the only thing she's been exposed to in terms of an actual angel situation is notionally Daniel. So she, she at least is defensively clueless. And I can understand how a defensively clueless person would not be like, now I need to tactically shoot this prone body in the head a few times. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it would it? Mm, ah, I don't know. Because, you know, if, if it's an angel and you, you have, you suspect that shooting this thing in the body is not going to kill it to, to the extent that you're like really slowly coming up to something that at least you probably know would destroy a regular human, then that's a warning shot. And you know what warning shots are? Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> right. As we've learned, as we've learned, thank you, Phantasm. Uh, God. Uh, okay, one little moment in the film that I did like involving Girlfriend. Uh, right before, she, she finds Daniel after he's alive again. She's like, and, and there's this like little, I felt like it was a nice little biblical touch where this is like this doubting Thomas moment where she's standing in front of Daniel and he's alive impossibly enough, but she's found him in whatever this warehouse is he's hiding in. And, and she sort of pulls down his shirt to look at his wound. And that's a big moment of her going, oh, my God, it's for real. It's like, boom, yeah. So it's a little, little Jesus allegory, a little bit, of, little bit of the Doubting Thomas thing. I thought, that was a, I thought it was a good little note, I guess. Um, so yeah. that, I'm just struggling to have some sort of defense of this character. So I guess that I kind of liked. But then, okay, so the end of the film, she, uh, Big Z, frustrated that she's not helping him kill Daniel well enough, Mm-hmm. Uh, pulls a wheel, crashes the truck she's driving. It goes flipping over. They would both presumably be killed, but he's an angel, uh, so right. he's fine. And he uses that to get Daniel's attention. Say, "Hey, your girlfriend here. She's dying. She's dying. You should come, uh, come here." Uh, and, and blah blah blah. And it's it's another just it, the scene that doesn't do much of anything for me. But anyway, she's dying, and and Daniel basically ends up asking Gabriel, "You know, you got to save her. You got to save her." Uh, and, and Gabriel's like, no, you know, you got to go do what you got to do, go do it. Uh, and you have to, you know, sort of let this go and be okay with this. Uh, she'll go to heaven. Uh, because if, if you don't do what you got to do, then the heaven she goes to is going to be a terrible thing. Uh, and so they go, okay, so Daniel has to make the decision to walk away. And then later, uh, you know, a little bit after the climactic stupid fight that ends the film, uh, he comes back and Gabriel is an angel again. And I guess decides to let her not die after all. Yeah. And so like, the, the, I think that's like a good deed or something. Yeah. And so, yay, the character we didn't really care about whose most defining moment probably in the film was being the thing that the guy had to let go of. 
also she's fine. So yeah, they can live happily ever after being, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, I feel like maybe that was Gabriel's just like, Oh, well I did a good deed and I guess now I can be an angel again. Um, and so I'll bring her back completely destroying any motivation you had before, but I couldn't do it before. So, you know, can't be mad at me. Uh, the little girl from the first film, has a cameo. Uh, Mary, she does Mary. have a cameo. Yeah, she, she, she's, she's grown up into like a, a, a young adult by now. Uh, possibly, yeah, a young young adult is fair. Uh, and so she just has a little walk-on cameo where she uh, talks to Daniel a little bit and is sort of like, hey, yeah, the evil ghost, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't super memorable, but it was kind of nice that they brought her back. But before they brought her back, there was this bad, shitty little effects shop where where there's a, a, a an image of her from the first film when she was like doing the standing by yeah. the grave in the dream sequence thing with the evil colonel behind her or whatever, uh, and and so like boom oh by the way this little girl remember her from the first film but it's like it was a badly composited effect shot and then and then we could uh, see her actually walk up and it was it was a little weird I don't know yeah it felt a little bit like a moment when she walked on should have been on like a TV show with a live audience who would have started whooping for fifteen seconds and, <laughs> and clapping it's like yeah and I'd be seven and watching and have no idea why that's going on exactly so uh, it was an odd little moment. Uh, God, we should probably talk about Periel and this final. So there's this recurring yeah. thing with Periel is this white. Oh, wait, before we talk about Periel, let's talk. Okay, here's this. It's important because it involves Periel eventually. Um, but you know how in the first two movies you you watch the fight scenes and you realize you know they got to get the heart out to um, you get the heart out to actually kill the 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 angel. You think, wow, it's really inefficient that they're doing it with their hands. You, you know how you think that? Yeah. Well, they. They, now they have a device for it, oh, and it is, I'm going to say, <laughs> twice as inefficient as using your hands. It's, it's a, it's, so it's a handle, and out of the handle pops a very serrated, almost uselessly serrated knife. But then, if you don't want it to be a knife, it extends again into a staff with a uh, cutting edge on it, and then... After you pierce the chest of an angel with this thing, there's another, I guess, button or something on it that you hit, and basically an umbrella, but without the uh, without the f- like the the fiber, uh, not the fiber, the uh, without the fabric on it, the material, just like those like little umbrella like, spikes, like a but snow- much smaller, yeah, like, like like a snowflake of harpoon blades. Exactly, and what you do is after you've gotten this rather long staff halfway through the angel's body, you then pull it back out, and it takes the heart with you. The- this, so they went from jumping at each other in the air, throwing each other at hard surfaces, without actually ever really punching or you know using too many weapons, just really just wrestling. And then this is the finishing move. This is why I don't think angels are are, are immortal. I think they're just incredibly hard to kill, and that they're the only ones trying to kill each other, and they're very bad at. They it. just they just built really shitty is, tools. Yeah. This is the height of angel assassination. Again, technology. angels are birds. They, they, they craft simple tools. You know, it's like a crow using a stick to dig something out of a hole. You know, they, they don't really have a mastery of mechanical stuff. That's, in fact, that's, okay, let's tie it back to Hellraiser. Le Marchand's box, the big thing with Le Marchand's box is it's the sort of thing that only a human could build. Uh, right. so, uh, so, so, you know, angels can't manage that sort of thing. Uh, I just saw your note that you're running out of battery, so we'll... We'll crank this out. I want to mention a couple other things I really liked just briefly about Prophecy 3, almost all of which are Christopher Walken driving his car. 
Like yes. I want to cut the scenes of him driving down the hall uh, highway playing his trumpet. And that just should be an entire short film. Uh, he is bad at driving and it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. And I love He's the, bad at driving, but he's delighted at his ability to drive. Yes. He's just enjoying it. And that's, that's how you should feel about things. It's, it's a metaphor for Christopher Walken's acting as Gabriel's driving. It's like, it's not always, it's not always a great outcome, but it's fun. And he drives down an alleyway. Uh, he drives down an alleyway, and he 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 stops. He, he hits the brakes, driving off frame, and then backs up into frame and stops at the same fucking diner as in the first film. And that same lady that him when he had his second helper monkey, Amanda Plummer, and he stops at the diner, and they're having this horrible, like uh, abusive spousal spat sort of thing at the diner. And Madge is serving them icily Madge is there and yep. in the first film you know she says uh, come back or I'll see you again sometime and he says I don't think so or not likely uh, or whatever he said and 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 then they're there and I just I warmed my <laughs> anywhere from little 5 fancy. to 15 years later <laughs> yes and I was so I was so happy that they did that even and though it was kind of silly and dumb yeah. and it just it, I don't know I like you know it. what the best part was though it was shot exactly the same way like you know he pulls in there and then you have the shot to all the, the, the way to the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the the pan all the way across the counter with like the cow like the cash register and the cowboy guy kind of like looking sidelong at whatever's next to him which you know is Christopher Walken and then this time you think it's like well last time it was funny because it was Chris Walken he looked kind of silly and then he had this like totally like fucked up like just out of intensive care woman with him and it's like he's alone now what are they going to do and he's sitting there and he's reading the menu with these enormous glasses <laughs> and it was just like com- completely a prop joke where he's just like you know it's like hey we make this a little funnier can you get some big glasses it's like yeah get some big glasses your eyesight sucks you're human now here and yeah that was just i, I really enjoyed that yep uh, I also really enjoyed at one point we see Christopher Walken working on a car and he's just literally got the hood up and he's <laughs> hitting it with a hammer. And that's, that's how Gabriel fixes a car. So there you go. Uh, bringing back the shush thing, Gabriel, we talked about the girlfriend dying and he does what appears to be a mercy shush. So he's totally reformed on his shushing. He's shushing out of goodness. That was nice. Uh, Periel, the big bad guy was it was like a a, a a B roll fight from the Matrix, and Angela pointed yeah. out when we were watching this that uh, this was pretty contemporary to the Matrix. Uh, so I think that's totally defensible. Uh, Daniel and Imperial get in this fight. Uh, Imperial is the most underdeveloped successor to God ever because that was implied yeah. that like he was going to take over. He was going to be he the does new nothing God. Nothing but stand on top of a pyramid of bodies. Yeah, and, he gets and I understand st- the implications of that, but, but it's it's not yeah, enough. Genocide. It happens now and then. He says. Uh, but 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 yeah. So then they get in a fucking fist fight essentially, and then Daniel notices it's cloudy, and he does a jumping backspin kick off of the spear that he stuck through Periel's chest, and and then lightning strikes. Uh, Did Periel, he call it down? I don't know. I, uh, Angela was saying, like, you know, it's just, uh, did he just, it's smitten? Was he, like, having a little moment with God where, like, hey, we can work this out together, you know, guy? And it kicks him five feet farther back to where he will be struck by the lightning, apparently. It didn't make any fucking sense, and it was so like, underwhelming. I, yeah. I was like, what the hell? Maybe that big spear thing in him, um, maybe that was a uh, like a lightning rod, but for divine lightning. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Thor was paying attention. God's out of the picture, but Thor, he, he he's on this. Yeah, I, so I don't know what it was. That was so fucking underwhelming. And then speaking of the mercy, Shushin, Gabriel also uh, 
shushes Maggie back to life is what happens there. And then he disappears into a flock of doves. Yeah, which is like you know anti exploded into the uh, the Lucifer in the first and the second yeah. one and exploded into a uh, flock of sea- seagull. No, that's not right. <laughs> and then the film closes and out with a little. Um, uh, yeah, no. So I so ran that, so far away. <laughs> oh Jesus! Um, just real quick in. <laughs> Uh, contemporary American literature class in college. It was Halloween, and we just like got um, somebody brought in Christopher Walken reciting The Raven, and we could not get through the whole thing because people just would not stop laughing. Um, <laughs> because it was amazing, because it was Christopher Raven reading. I mean, Christopher <laughs> Raven. He's changed his legal name. That's all he does now. He reads The Raven. Christopher uh, Raven. <laughs> Um, God, I, we should probably close out because you're almost out of battery. Uh, I want to say got, uh, now I have 12 minutes left. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Uh, this, the, the, the credits of this movie, the special thanks include mm-hmm. among other people, Wes Craven and Guillermo del Toro. I want <laughs> to know why, uh, but I don't know why. They bought them yet. lunch. Yes. <laughs> they uh, bought the director's lunch. They came on set and they were just like, you're, we're going to upgrade your crap services package. Now you can have water. Also, running with the, uh, the Terminator theme, uh, mm-hmm. along with all the other parallels we saw, there's the recurring notion of Angel's uh, agency and choice, and, or, or basically lack mm-hmm. thereof, and that's a thing. Humans have free will, angels don't. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird, like, 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 it's interesting as a parallel to Terminator, like, you know, no future but what you make, etc., which you sort of get in this one, too. Uh, but I want to talk about Angel's agency as a thing, because... Is it that angels don't have free will and can't make their own choices? Or is it just that it's really they're not supposed to? Because it seems like there's a lot of angels doing shit that they feel like doing, even though it's not what they're supposed to in these films. I think what, it's, what it is is that they're tuned into the divine plan and they're supposed to do what they need to do to continue the plan, to further the plan. But how they do it is just that they they decide on how that gets done by you know what they can do and stuff. But where so do you... It's just, that's the thing. Where do you draw the line? What counts as following the plan and what counts as making your own choices? Because we're not God. We're not meant to know. Uh, that's what the movie makers thought. I, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. The motivation of this is so. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's, no, I, I get what you're saying. It's just like the motivation and, and their ability to act on that motivation. It, it, there's very few times there's ever a struggle over whether an angel should do something or not. They're always pretty fucking sure. Yeah, and they, and they very rarely seem to disagree with what they're doing. Like, and that's the thing. I, I feel like if you have the understanding that you lack free will but still have some willfulness, it seems like at times you would do things you don't want to do, and they would be able to recognize that. So I guess it, it, it's, a, it's sort of an all-or-nothing thing for me. Like, if it's actually following God's plan, then I guess God's plan is every little fucking thing that they do. Like, it's God's plan that Walken is sassy when, he's, when, when Gabriel's going through the uh, hospital in the first film looking for a new helper monkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, God's plan that he intones in just the right way, his dismissiveness about a guy who looks like he's recovering. Like, I, it's hard to it's hard to get behind that level of micromanagement. But at the same time, if it's not micromanaging like that, what is God's rubric for when you're obeying enough? Maybe it's you like know? Dwarf Fortress, where you can't control anything directly, but you have influence over things, and regardless of what you do, somebody is going to dry drinking on the toilet. Oh, so 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 God's going to like set checkpoints, and then things can sort of fulfill them? 
Yeah, just sort of just like, you know, send a prophecy over here that might get a little misinterpreted, you know, burn a bush over there as a sign that might get misinterpreted, tell this guy to do a thing, and then just like things play out because he's not micromanaging, but he's also not doing very good macro managing. It's just like you, you ever played a game of Civ that just got really shitty and just like <laughs> and you're still playing it, but you know you're not you're probably not going to win. Like half of your kingdom, half of your Civ is like down. Your roads don't go anywhere, and yet you're still playing. I, I think it's sort of like that. It's just like I I can't stop playing. So you know, all right, go go do that and try not to kill anybody. And if you do, uh, oh okay, so, so God yeah. God is a DM. Is what's going yeah. on, and and yep. this so the tabletop you 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 literally are playing God if you're running the game uh, in the in the tabletop mm-hmm. uh, version of prophecy that will totally invent. Uh, so 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 really, God's sort of railroading the plot, but you can get there however you want. He's just gonna every once in a while gonna say, "Hey, no, I think maybe you should not kill the lady pregnant with the nephilim." Uh, but but it would. Where's my character motivation? I got a knife. She's there. I'm supposed to kill her. I mean, you told me I wanted to kill her. What? It's like, yeah, maybe we'll find. Uh, maybe rocks fall and kill you. You know, it's like. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's like risk, where you know you roll the dice, and even if you know one's got really good odds over the other, with just you know a little bit of luck and so on, they win. And God is playing dice with the universe. It could be. I feel like I feel like I had a much better. Uh, thesis on the the sort of weird metaphysics of this uh before we talked about both of these movies and i feel like i've just like a lot of people feel like that after talking to me (laughs) (sighs) in summary i thought it was actually interesting to watch these as a trilogy uh compared to that hellraiser franchise just continuing to wander i mean if you take hellraiser one two and four and compare it to these i think there's Mm -hmm. pros and cons for both uh But it was interesting that this felt like, even if it was sort of shoehorned together, it felt like it was trying to end itself as a trilogy, uh, which is oh, interesting because, of course, uh, there's going to be... Gabriel ordering food at the diner with Madge. Yes. Oh, that was Before great. Before I forget, um, that was that was a great scene. It's just Christopher Walken placing a large breakfast order. Again, just like cut out all just the Gabriel scenes from these films, well, I think would make an excellent like half hour of watching. Yep. You know? Maybe, maybe maybe an hour across them all, but he, he shows up a little bit later. Anyway, I'm not going to worry about that. Well, I think maybe we should call that the show. Uh, did we figure out what we're doing for the next one? It's going to uh, be three th- weeks because we you're getting married. Do, uh, John Dies the End? Yeah, 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 yeah. The classic uh, eponymous film, John Dies the End. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, hang on. I'm just looking at my calendar right now. I'm getting married one of these weekends. It doesn't really matter which. I think I think we got three weeks until the next one because of because of all that in there. We'll give yeah, you. Let's a see. Today is the today is the the twentieth. Wow. We why are we doing this on the uh, air? But hey, let's I do it on the air. No, but anyway. Okay, twentieth, twenty seventh. So we can't do next week. That's the twenty seventh. We can't do the third because that's the one I'm getting married. So yeah, the tenth will be I, yeah. our next episode. It's on the calendar. I don't I don't know why you're checking it. I, I just I was being conversational. Uh, so yes, three weeks from now we'll do something. Maybe it'll be John dies at the end. Uh, I think that's what we were considering because Coscarelli from Phantasm and that's yep. his most recent film. Uh, so we'll do that. Uh, and in the meantime, congrats on the pending new piddles again. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get this posted and stuff. Go to the website. Uh, we have such films to show you.tumblr.com or the Facebook group. Just Google that yep. and look at the And a bunch of iTunes. you have been messaging us um, on the Facebook group and we try to get back to those as we 
notice them. Yep. It's been, um, I think we've but, both had a pretty busy couple of weeks actually, but yeah, uh, but really enjoying that. Please keep but doing we, that. It's, I, we, it's, I, I, I have read every just message that has been sent and, you know, plan to reply at one point. Yeah, so so they are not being ignored. So if you want to message us, please feel free. Yeah. It's been, it's been great hearing you. Keep it up. Uh, I've got a couple dumb images I need to post. That I haven't gotten around to that are Hellraiser related. Uh, so there's been an image of pinhead eating pizza going around. Um, just Doug Bradley full makeup with done? a slice. Uh, no, he, he seems like he seems like he's enjoying it a great oh, I deal. It was like an illustration. No, no, no. It's like it's a shot from a set, I think, or or something. Oh, that's... Uh, uh, rate and review us on iTunes if you would. It, it helps with the visibility. Uh, I've been doing that new podcast, The Crapshoot. If you want to hear more of me talking, uh, you can check out thecrapshoot.net. Uh, that. Good job getting that URL. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't bad. Crapshoot.com without the was the problem. You throw the, the in front and we, we could get what we wanted. So, uh, but that's been, that's been going good. Enjoying uh, doing that as well. I'm going to be hoarse eventually with all this podcasting, but uh, it's a good time. Uh, did we have Everybody any loves horses? Yeah, true. True. <laughs> Everybody loves horses. Everybody. Uh, you got anything else? Am I forgetting anything? Nay. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Bye.